You can kick your fancy ales, you can drink them by the flagon, but the only food for the brave and true comes from the green dragon. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Green Dragon Podcast. I'm your host, Matt, and I have here with me today, Jeremy. Hello, host Matt. And Kylie. Hello, hello. And we're getting into one of my favorite armies today. Uh, you've all seen the title. You all know what we're talking about. We're getting right into some Easterling talk, guys. I, I've had Easterlings for absolutely forever. Have you guys uh, always been drawn to these boys? Because... I don't think they've always been that good in the game, but I think they just look stunning. I've had Easterlings since the old metal ones with the Return of the King. I only had a few of them back then. It was just basically uh, enough to play some scenarios, but they were some of my favorite models at the time because they, they looked stunning and they still do. So they've been ones that, that I've dabbled with occasionally over time. Not as much as I would like to, I think, but I've always enjoyed the Easterlings. How about yourself, Kylie? Have you always had an Easterling army on the go? Not so much on the go. I kind of went with their uh, brethren or brothers in arms, the Kandish, as my kind of go-to for the sort of the Eastern Realms armies. But I do have converted, uh, you know, priests and dragonites and stuff that I uh, occasionally uh, ally in and dabble with when I'm playing uh, various Kand armies. Nice, nice. Yeah, I think it's something about the color scheme. I don't know. Red and gold just does it for me. I, I've also gotten into, a little bit off topic, gotten into um, the Lannisters in uh, Game of Thrones board game, or not board game, miniatures game that I've gotten into currently. So I don't know. That color scheme must really do it for me for some reason. But uh, yeah, the Eastlings have always looked really cool to me. Mm, yes. It's strange. It's strange because normally those colors are associated with being a Gryffindor and yet you're a Slytherin. Yeah, isn't that odd uh, how the, the fandom sort of works? But you don't choose your Hogwarts house necessarily, Kylie. That is very true. We, we've gone through Harry Potter. We've gone through Game of Thrones. Let's ha- let's talk about some Lord of the Rings, shall we? Are uh, we not going to dabble in a bit of Star Wars on top of that? Just to, you know, no, no, no. We, we, we better stay at least slightly on topic. And uh, you know what? Uh, I think we should just move right along into our first segment. What do you think, guys? Let's do it. Know thine enemy. The Easterlings. While it is true that many men in Middle-earth were ever of good and noble heart, the same cannot be said for them all. Beyond the Sea of Rune and the Iron Hills lies a vast empire of wicked men known simply as Easterlings. This catch-all term perhaps encompasses a great many warrior cultures, but a few who have ventured past the mountains of the East have returned to give a full account of their findings. The Easterlings were ever at odds with the men of the West, and many believe this is due to some dire alliance with the Great Enemy. Indeed, during the latter years of the Third Age, the Easterlings launched vast invasions that threatened to cast down Gondor, and in the War of the Ring their warriors assailed both Minas Tirith and Erebor in colossal throngs. The armies of the Easterlings are a truly impressive sight, for they are a host possessed of incredible martial discipline. Some say that the Easterlings clutch a blade to their chest, even as they are weaned, while others say the warfare and the shedding of blood is akin to a rite of worship to their culture. In battle they fight in deep phalanxes, bladed pikes presenting a wall of death behind which bronzed armour gleams in the wane sunlight. Heavy armour and shields protect them from the foe, while their faces, even their gender, remain hidden, swathed in exotic fabrics and protected behind armoured helms. 
To the flanks ride the cataphracts, cavalrymen whose horses wear heavy scale barding in spite of the oppressive heat to, of their homeland, all while captains and war priests exhort the ranks onwards into battle. Among the Eastlings, no name is better known than that of Kamul, second among the Nazgul. This fell warrior lord took one of the nine rings offered by the Dark Lord, and though none can say for certain whether he was an Eastling then, he assuredly is now. His name is spoken with reverence and fear by all within the Rundish lands. Even the greatest warrior champions of Rune, such as those who have ridden to the heights of the knights of the Eastling warrior cults, and even the Dragon Empire himself, bow to his irrepressible will. Okay, know thine enemy, here we go. Let's get right into one of the big heroes in the Easterlings, and that is Kamul the Easterling, the Nazgul, the Eastern Nazgul. And you know what? I'm just going to slip straight into his profile. He didn't change a whole lot with the uh, new rules, but what he did do is retain some advantages some of the other Nazgul didn't get. So his profile, he's 120 points, same as before. He is a spirit, ring wraith, Easterling, Mordor, infantry, hero, hero of valor. He's got all of the keywords. Uh, you can lead 15 troops as a hero of valor, which is very nice. He is move six, so just your standard. Fight five, four plus shoot, strength four, defense eight, one attack, one wound, courage six, two might, 12 will, two fate. So pretty much what you'd expect from a named ring wraith along those lines. Maybe slightly less will than some of them, certainly less than a bog standard wraith which is interesting, but there is a reason for that, which we'll get to. Uh, he's got heavy armor and a sword, and he's got three heroic actions, which is something that sets him apart from the other named wraiths. He has heroic channeling, which they all have, but he also has heroic strike, very, very important, very important ability, and heroic challenge, maybe not so important, but still useful, potentially, if you can find the right moment for it. Uh, he can take... Armoured or regular fell beast for 70 or 50 points, respectively. Armoured horse or regular horse. Uh, and his special rules are the same as the rest of the rates. Harbinger of Evil, Terror, and Will of Evil. But he also has Essence Leech. Now, Essence Leech, I believe, has changed slightly. No, it's pretty much the same as it was before, isn't it, guys? I don't think Essence Leech has changed. This is one of the few Nazgul anyone... ones that, that didn't really change a whole lot. The main thing I think is it's when Kamul makes a strike against an enemy model. Now, I think that only works if you don't do the special strikes, as far as I know, because they replace the strikes, um, I, I think. I think that's the case. But other than that, I think it's pretty much the same. He's got the ability to up some stats with, with a point of will or to get will back when causing a wound. Yeah, I think um, rather than special strikes, I think special strikes are okay. Uh, it's the brutal powers. Brutal powers, which are not actually strikes. Okay, yep. So that would not allow you to regain a will point if you were to hurl or rend, for instance. That's a much cleaner way of saying it than to have an FAQ, which is what they had in the past, I believe. Yep, yep. So the main thing is you can increase your will. You can use your will to increase your fight, strength, or attacks. Um, and this one, it's rarely increasing strength. It's usually you're increasing fight value if you need to. Or attack sometimes as well if your fight value is fine. That's very useful because it just increases your chance of getting the kill, increases your chance of winning the combat, which means he's one of the better fighter ring wraiths, Kamul. You can be able to get the will back is always good, but to be able to increase some of the stats, to go from fight five to six or from attacks two to three or for strength four to five can be really useful. 
Yeah, definitely. You're not going to be boosting your strength, obviously, when you're on a fell beast um, or your attacks for that matter. It would really just be your fight value. But certainly if you're on a horse or if you're on foot, you want to increase your attacks most of the time. It's interesting because because uh, we'll get to this more, but because Eastlings have pikes, he is one of the few ring rates who doesn't necessarily mind just being on foot. It can work out for him on occasion, just being part of a line. But uh, yeah, like like most rates, you really probably want to be running him on a fell beast. Um, that's where he can do the most damage. Yeah, I think a mount is the way to go with Kamul, just for the extra movement, for the extra attack. So we, when you get the knockdown, you can get a lot more strikes, which get you your will back. He's pretty much your, your classic hero assassin, the way he's kitted up. So I really like him on a, a fell beast. But the ho- I can see the argument for the horse. I think foot is your last resort. You take him on foot when you get knocked off your beast and then you go into the pike block. I wouldn't take him as that for a start. Because for 120 points, you're already spending a lot of points on something, which, as we'll get to very soon, is not the best spellcaster in the game. Yeah, for sure. In fact, let's go straight into his spells. So... He has all of the same spells as the rest of the wraiths. So he's got Drain Courage, Transfix, Compel, Instill Fear, and Sap Will, and Black Dart. However, most of them are a little bit harder for him to cast, I believe. So Drain Courage, rather than the regular 2+, it's on a 3+. Transfix, also 4+, rather than 3+. Compel, 5+, rather than 4+. I think the others are the same, except for Black Dart which is on a 6 only rather than 5+. So quite hard for Kamul to cast. Yeah, you make a good point. He's really more of a combat option. Yeah, I'm just double-checking. I thought the Sap Will was a little bit harder to cast as well for him compared to the other Wraiths. But the um, the Instill Fear... No, it's the same. It's the same? Okay, so... But they're, they're probably powers that you don't use a whole lot. It's still Fear, I can still see the point of it on occasions. But I think the, your bread and butter spell for this guy is Transfix and... Maybe sometimes compel, but probably transfix on a four plus is the sweet one. Yeah, I think transfix most of the time for sure. Like just to stop a hero from moving. Yeah, transfix and compel will always be your bread and butter for a ring wraith, regardless of how, uh, what their dice score is to cast that spell. And the and the old drain courage can be pretty useful on occasion, but uh, if you've got the right target, that is. Yeah, I feel like that's not really with the Easterling list because you've only really got this guy causing the terror. So if you had a few more terror models, you can get the benefit of the, the failed terror test and the the break test at the end. That could be pretty good. But I just think because he he's only got the 12 will, yes, he can get it back, but you're still potentially spending it in combat. You're still spending it to up your stats. You probably, when you're using a spell, you're spending a couple points of will just to make sure it gets off. I feel like you probably want to go at the more dynamic spells. So a compeller or a transfix is they're pretty much your assassination type spells, and combine that with his heroic strike or his will to up his fight value. He can often make it so he can win the fight pretty comfortably with those that combination. He's basically the only ring wraith left, uh, aside from the witch king, that can do what the ring wraiths used to be able to do in the previous edition, which is dive the back line and knock out a big key important hero. For sure, that heroic strike is is absolutely crucial. And and he just provides a bit of hitting power to the Eastlings, which don't necessarily have a whole lot. But having said that, let's move on to the other big hero in the Eastling list, Amdur, the Lord of Blades. Jeremy, could you walk us through this one? Amdur, Lord of Blades, for uh, 130 points. So this guy is even more than Kamul. You get a hero of valor as well, which means that you get to choose which one's your leader, interestingly enough. Uh, he's a man, he's an Easterling, an infantry hero. 
So that that's all handy stats. Lots of lots of characteristics there. He's got a movement of six, a fight value of six, uh, four plus with no bow options. So six is is a good fight value for a hero. Strength four, defense six, three attacks, three wounds. One of those rare evil heroes with a three attacks, three wounds combination. Courage of five, which is good courage. Might three, will three, fate only one, only one fate. So that's that's his little Achilles heel stat compared to some of the others. He's got heavy armor and carries Durtuts, the silver falchion. Uh, this is a, a sword that's an elven-made hand-and-a-half sword, which is really an impressive rule because with fight six and essentially an elven blade, you're winning a lot of the roll-offs, you're winning a lot of your fights. He can definitely do a job there with three attacks. He's got the useful heroic strike and the uh, not-so-useful heroic challenge. He's got an armored horse option, which is pretty pretty uh, tempting at 15 points, and it, it makes the model look really good. You buy the model with the, the armored horse. Special rules. This is my favorite special rule. Blood and glory. So when you do wounds, I think it is to... Is it when you kill a hero? I think it's when you kill a hero, you get a might point back. When you kill an correct. enemy hero, yes, you get a might point back. Yeah, love that one. Unyielding combat stat- stance. This is, I think, a new one for this one, or it might not be. This one means while he's standing, he can't be knocked over. Am I correct? Almost. So whilst Amdur is uh, standing or on foot, actually, I don't even think it's on foot. I think it's whenever Amdur is about to be knocked down, uh, roll a dice on the roll of four plus. He remains standing instead. Yep. So that that's good as well. That that means that, that you're not getting those knockdowns from, from nasty things. Phalanx, which means that basically on the horse, he can get the extra defense. Um, uh, so incorrect. Is incorrect? Incorrect. Gleaming Horde is the one where he gets the plus one defense uh, uh, bonus whilst being in shield wall formation whilst mounted. Oh, okay. So wrong uh, one. Yeah, phalanx means that he doesn't get in the way of other pikemen. So if he's at the back rank of your army for some reason, or if he's jammed in with a bunch of acelings, he can still back away with one other model uh, to make way for a friend. So two models can make way for a friend instead of one. Thank you, Kylie. And then he's got Gleaming Horde, which is the one I thought it was the other way around. So this one, when he's... It's like shield wall for cavalry, essentially. So when when you're in base contact with two cavalry models after you've backed away... You can get the defense bonus, which is which is actually quite useful. I like this rule quite a bit. And it works on the horses as well, I believe. Yes. Yep. I've just noticed something really interesting about the phalanx rule that I hadn't realized. When you do that move, the the double back away in the pike block formation, all three models must have phalanx. Not just the two pike wielding models, but also the model that lost the fight. So Possibly some combinations that we've seen actually can't be done. Like, for instance, uh, having a strength four model front line from a different list or something along those lines. No, all three models must have phalanx for that to work. Yes. Yeah, that's that's correct, which I, I like that way of doing it. It means that you've got some ability to take the pipe block without the major downside, but you don't get it when you, you're trying to, to go support a half troll or something else. It's pretty nasty. He's got the Herald of Victory, which is all Easterling models, which includes Kamul, I believe. Treat Amdur as a banner. Should Amdur kill the enemy leader in combat, the range of this banner is increased to six inches. So it starts as a three-inch banner, and then if he kills the leader, it turns into six inches. So that's that could be really, really good if he manages to kill the leader, which is sort of what you want to do with him. So that's a, I like that rule quite a bit, and I like the theme behind it as well. He's got Lord of Blades, which means whenever an enemy model in combat with Amdur declares a heroic strike... Amdur can call a heroic strike for free. 
If Amdu has already uh, called any type of heroic action, he may change his choice, but he does not regain the point of might. So if you called, say, a heroic combat and someone struck up against you, you could then strike for free, but you've you've already spent your point of might for the heroic combat, and that just disappears. So it's a nice bit of insurance, but it also means that uh, most of the time, heroes won't strike against him because they know that he'll get to strike off with his elven blade, elven made hand and half sword and fight six. Uh, it's a really, really nice, essentially defensive rule. I, I'd completely forgotten uh, both about that and about his uh, ability to make his banner six inches. Both really cool rules. And yeah, just the, the straight up stat buff, three attacks, three wounds from the previous two is incredible. It's really, really useful. Um, he it's it's worth remembering he is an Eastling himself, so he treats himself as a banner as well. So he actually has four attack space essentially to, on the dual roll. Yeah, just a really nice nice leader sort of model for only 130 points. Chuck him on an armored horse every time, I'd say, for 145, and he could uh, rip through your opponent's heroes. Yeah, uh, I absolutely love the changes that um, they've made to Amdor because he's the leader that Easterlings have kind of always wanted but never never got until now. Because one of one of the big flaws of a lot of armies is being under what I call the, the, the three wound fresh threshold which is having a model that has two wounds and one fate as your leader, it feels really, 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 really flimsy. And just a really lucky roll by your opponent can knock them out from, from pretty much anywhere because that one fate isn't can't you know reliably block the wounds you, you need. But when you get up to that three wounds, three attacks, it provides a really, really sure, almost surefire resistance to to, you know, a freakish win by, like, a two-attack Sentinel or a charging cavalry model or, or something like that that somehow, you know, chip off two wounds, he's not going to go down straight away. And I think that's really, really important to have in an army leader. And I'm so happy that they managed to, you know, pull their finger out and give it to Amdur. Having said that, I still feel a little bit iffy about Defense 6. I kind of wish they'd just bumped him up to defense seven. I, I feel like it would have been a really nice... And you look how heavily armoured it is. He, he's in a heavily armoured list, which is the Easterlings. And I know he doesn't have a shield, but yeah. I feel he like defense, defense seven. No, nope, defense six. Horde. He has the Gleaming yeah, Horde. Yeah, yeah. I don't know about you, Kylie, but I've used Gleaming Horde and it doesn't come into effect all that often. It's basically but, against uh, shooting at the start. So when, you, when you're moving up, because you can easily set up the formation in shooting... Um, I feel I feel like the Gleaming Hordes is good then. But when in combat, it is much harder because you're going to have models um, around him and uh, it's tougher to, to have that model to fall back on because you don't always want to back into a horse because you want your horses to be off fighting combat. So I, I still think it's it's exactly. enough because like the shooting is good. Having having the, the Gleaming Hordes against shooting means you've got a bit of protection. And once you get into combat, he's not losing a whole bunch of combat. Do you see how many attacks he's got potentially? Like if he comes in with three attacks on the charge for four with a reroll potentially for five attacks with potentially free heroic strikes with the roll-offs for the blade with his own strike if he needs it, he's pretty reliable in terms of combat. Like in terms of any other heroes that are the three attacks, he'll be easily as reliable as most of them. So I feel like he's, he's one of those models that your defense, yes, it looks like it's a little bit flimsy, but it's not going to come into play a whole lot. It's basically when he sits there trapped and under the influence of magic that it's going to come into play. I agree. That's 100%. fair. That's fair. Wait, mm. let me let me ask this question to of you, Matt. Would you prefer a defense seven two wound hero with one fate 
or a defense six hero with three room three wounds. Oh yeah, no, I I much prefer the extra wound, but uh, I don't know. I I've lost him a couple of times to, as you just said, a, a sort of a freakish combat where you know he might charge in on two sentinels, for instance. Um, which you would be hoping he'd easily be able to defeat, and then they turn around and chip some wounds or potentially even kill him. So, uh, I don't know. Although, in that situation, Defense 7 wouldn't even help. So, uh, (laughs) I don't even know what I'm talking about, do I? (laughs) That's why we have you on. Yeah, as you said, Joe, yeah, that's the whole reason to come up with hypothetical situations that are completely meaningless. That's what I'm here for, guys. As you mentioned, in in combat, like, think about it. You want to charge two models with him every turn, um, how are you getting two cavalry cavalry in a base with him? He already counts as a banner. You're not going to have a, a banner model touching him. So, yeah, uh, like, you're not getting Gleaming Horde winning combat. That's just facts. But, uh, no, you're right. Look, the way you want to use him, yeah, you shouldn't be losing fights. So it, it just would be nice. He, he doesn't have a heroic defense either. So if he gets into a tough spot, there's just not much of a way out for him. But just don't get him well, in a tough spot, I guess. Keep pushing him forward. Be aggressive. Yeah, that's kind of what I like about the Easterling list is they have a really, really, they have a niche and it's that glass cannon leash and Amdur and the Dragonites, uh, I feel, exemplify that glass cannon because when we get into the Dragonites, which I believe is our next profile we're going to have a look at, they're all about pushing, pushing, pushing your advantage and not not easing up, going in for those for those strikes, looking for the, the cheeky little assassinations on captains because... With the refreshing of my off blood and glory, you're always rewarded for going into enemy heroes. That is the first time I've ever heard Eastlings described as a glass cannon list. Oh, 100%. They are glass cannons. They it's are really, cannon. really strange to hear. Yeah, I. Yeah, I well, they are. <laughs> I they are. I don't, I don't quite agree with you on that one, Kylie. I, I think I, I agree in principle that your aim is to go as hard as you can at heroes and try to kill them off as soon as possible. But I feel like for an army that, that's got enough defensive nous in there where your base troops are defense six, um, I, I feel like glass cannon is not right. Definitely a cannon, but maybe not a glass cannon. Maybe something that's a bit more solid than glass. Maybe a, oh, some other two, a concrete cannon, I would say. Well, concrete cannon. Well, why don't you get into the Dragon Knights so I can collect my thoughts, and then I'll absolutely <laughs> drop my logic truth bomb on why Easterlings are glass cannon. Done, done. I like this. I'm looking forward to it. All so- right, all right. On to the next profile. All right, Dragon Knights. Dragon Knights, shall we get right into them? Yep. Let's let's check out these glass cannons of the Easterling list. We've got uh, a 65-point model. That is a man Eastling infantry hero, and they are minor heroes, which is uh, interesting. Uh, only take up to six troops, and the way I've seen them mostly use is just spamming them a little bit. But uh, like the reason for that is they are uh, fight five, four plus to hit with no shooting, so it doesn't matter. Strength four, defense six, three attacks, which is pretty cool for a 65-point model at fight five. Uh, two wounds, courage four, two might, no will, no fate. They have heavy armor and two swords, which is why they have three attacks. That's Games Workshop logic. (laughs) Uh, They have Heroic Strike, super important, and are able to ride an armored horse into battle. Yep. Uh, Like Amdur, they have Blood and Glory, Unyielding Combat Stance, Phalanx, and the Gleaming Horde. Unlike Amdur, they also have Shield of Blades, which means they can use the shielding rule 
whilst armed with two swords. So if you shatter one of their swords, they can no longer shield. Interesting use of Gundabid Shamans. Not the way I would probably go about it, but there we are. Knights of the Dragon Cult is their other special rule. Dragon Knights may only include Eastly Moles with the Black Dragon upgrade within their warbands. We'll get into more of that later, but I don't think that's much of an issue. You generally do want the Black Dragon upgrade throughout your list. Mm-hmm. So we have the Glass Cannon. Kylie, tell us yes. more. Why? Why are they Glass Cannons? Well, first of all, we need to address the first part of, of, of the cannon, which is the offensive potential. And just like Amdur, they have the Blood and Glory the three attacks, broke strike, a horse, and a couple of might points, which is everything you need to kill just about nearly any hero in the game. They have so much damage potential, it's it's not funny. But the one thing that I find with our Dragonites is the fact that they're two wounds, one fate. That is the glass part of them, but what makes them so easily shattered is the zero will point. Having a hero like the Easterling Dragon Knights with zero will points and with such offensive potential means they're very susceptible to being uh, spelled by enemy spellcasters, uh, especially Compel. They do not like Compel um, from any particular army. And that is where their kind of Achilles heel lies. If you can get a decent Compel on them, bring them forward, get them trapped and surrounded with any sort of a decent hero, they're going to go down faster than you can say Glass Cannon. My way of dealing with that one is I, I find that the minor hero has been a massive upgrade with them because before they were independent, so they're basically on their own. Because you can take the, the Black Dragon upgrades, we'll fast forward a little bit, Black Dragon Cataphracts are the horse models. And because you've got the Gleaming Horde, my favorite thing is to take them with three horse models. And you set up this little formation where you have two horses in front of them, touching in base-to-base contact. The Dragon Knight right set behind those two, so they've got an in-the-way, and they've got the two models touching them for the Gleaming Hordes. And then you have one horse model directly behind them at the back. And this is the one that's there just to prevent compels. So the, the enemy loves to compel these guys because they are an easy kill if you go and compel them out of the lines. So if you set up this formation, which is basically a little half warband of three models, it means that it's, it's a lot more difficult to compel. You're not wasting your might on heroic moves with them because you probably don't want to do that. You probably want to use it for strikes anyway. So you've got this little defensive formation that, that does uh, help you out your glass a little bit, Kylie, but your argument for glass cannon for these models is, is actually pretty good. These models are... I would agree these models are glass cannons. I don't think the whole list is, but I'll definitely uh, concede that these models are definitely glass cannons. I'd second that. These are the only models in the list that I would accept that definition for. Fair enough. I can understand why, like, where that would, would come from, but I'll get into a bit more about why I find Easterlings are very glass cannony and very kind of uh, hit and miss. It also has to do with the fact that there's no model in their list that has uh, Heroic Resolve. They have no uh, extra way of getting uh, any wield defense. And the best way to make Dragon Knights effective is to take multiples of them. By taking multiples, you you mitigate your opponent's magic by giving by oversaturating your opponent's targets. Yeah, like uh, th- this is a standard tactic, and we- we've talked about it a lot, haven't we, about just like overwhelming your opponent with too many things that are able to do damage at once. And in particular, I think Dragon Knights are great at this because, one, they're not super expensive uh, at, was it, 80 points with an armoured horse? Like, mm-hmm. you, you can get three or four of them for sure. Uh, and they can do plenty of damage to both troops 
and to heroes and heroes can actually provide them with sustain if they're able to get a good charge on them. So yep, for sure. Like glass cannon all the way on these guys. But here's, here's the thing that I I've generally found is with Easterlings in terms of like other army compositions and other choices, if you're taking Easterlings, you're taking them for this model. For, for Amdur and the Dragon Knights. You're not taking them for, for the for the pipe block because there are other pipe blocks in the game that are stronger, faster, and just do everything better than them. And there are other cavalry armies in the game that hit harder, are much harder to take down, and are much more annoying to deal with. I find that because you're you're pretty much, if you're taking a, a, an Easterling army locked into taking, you know, at least... I would say one or two dragon knights at the very least, and I, I sometimes have been running three of them. Is 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 that fact? Because you're putting so much of your points, and you know, once you get into you know two or three, you're looking at 160, 240 points. It starts to become a significant portion of your army, and they also turn into your main offensive threat. They are your damage source. They're the they're the thing in your army that can actually kill big stuff or or deal damage in droves because your strength three troops ain't gonna do it your strength three cab is gonna have a tough time um getting through anything defense six or higher and you're solely at that point relying on your three attack strength four behemoth with maybe a blade wrath or two coming in over the top yeah so i i see what you've done here you're essentially arguing that (laughs) that it's a glass cannon list because the Easterling Dragon Knights are the entire list. And I can't really disagree with you <laughs> too much because I run them quite a bit. And and you're right. You don't take Eastlings for the pike block. It's not a great pike block. Like, it's uh, not great fight value. It's not great defense. It's not definitely not great strength. Really, the only thing it has going for it is the three attacks with the potential banner. Yeah, look, you're not wrong. Uh, but I, I wouldn't necessarily say that makes it a glass cannon list. I would say it makes it a flawed list. True, but that said, I have seen Eastling Dragon Knights absolutely shine on the table. I have seen them, you know, string heroic combats into heroic, into like double kill takedowns and Amdur just absolutely go off knocking out hero after hero. And when they get rolling, they get rolling. They will not stop. They will just continue to keep smashing through through a game if you if you let them get out of hand. And the interesting thing about the list is that the entire the rest of the army is entirely designed to die slowly. They're there to just get on objectives, sit there whilst the Dragonites and Amdur, or if you have Kamul, Kamul as well, to do their thing. I think the Easterling army is one that, that you can you can now play it without the Dragon Knight. You can actually play it now without any of these three main heroes, Kamul, Amdur, or the Dragon Knight. But the Dragon Knight is so good, and it's so interesting, and it really doesn't have an equal in any other list. It, it feels like a unique character that I would be surprised, even if you went for the Easterlings, just because you love the look of it, and you like the shield wall look, and you like the pikes and that sort of stuff, I can't imagine you not picking up a Dragon Knight at some point, because... They're just so interesting and they're so much fun and they are so powerful models. Yeah, the closest thing I can I can think of that comes to a Dragon Knight would be a, a Haradrim Hasharan uh, in terms of damage output, but they don't get horses. And the only other kind of models in the game that can match their stat line and just sheer ferocity, you're looking at heroes like Faramir Mounted, you know, Halbrad for, for similar points. And even then they have a couple of flaws that don't quite match up. 
Yeah, I, I'd still say, like, you know, if someone asks you, oh, what do you like about your list? And you say, well, I like that my troops die really slowly. I I don't really see that as a great selling point. And, I, you know, I love the changes that they made to the Dragon Knights, to Andor, but, yeah, it, it hasn't totally sold me on the list. Uh, the Cataphracts and, and the troops still have the same problems, I think. And, and patching on a, a shield wall effect onto the cavalry didn't really do much for me at all, I would have thought. Like, I've run it a few times and I've just felt very underwhelmed by that. But look, I, I have seen other players using the multiple Dragon Knights to great success and really enjoying it. And that's great. I'm, I'm glad the Dragon Knights great success. Uh, I don't think I've played with multiple. I've played with Amdur Kamul and one Dragon Knight before. Yeah, that. That's the game I'm thinking yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. So that was, yeah, that was pretty cool. Like, I enjoyed that. Um, I've seen uh, Jim, Jim uh, Keller, run a, an incredible list uh, and play some astonishing games. I think you had a practice game with him. Jeremy, Was is that right? I did, and he absolutely destroyed me with his uh, cataf- uh, Dragonite heavy, Cataphract heavy, Amdur all cavalry list it was it was really impressive it made me really respect the Eastlings which I I respected the Eastlings beforehand as well I I thought they were a sneaky good army like the old really old school Rohan where they've got some some ability to surprise people but now they've got some really frontline hitters that that are the equal to everyone else you don't just have to win by sneaky uh tricks and tactics so they I they can be really impressive when they wind up um that does I guess support Kylie's glass cannon argument a little bit where if they don't wind up then they're, they're glass they fall apart very easily just as well sort of similar to hunter orc type setups where they can they can have those games where you've got no chance whatsoever they just kill everything really quickly and then you have those other games where you go what's impressive about these guys they just die instantly but um we should go on for some more profiles Matt before we go overall army tactics I think yeah, great point. Okay, let's go with uh, the next profile along, which is the Easterling Captain, your standard captain. He's a man, he's an Easterling, he's an infantry hero, hero of fortitude, so can leave 12 troops. Uh, he comes in at 50 points, which is about average for a captain. Uh, he is fight for 4 plus, 4, 6, 2, 2, 4, 2 might, 1 will, 1 fates. Just the standard captain profile you'd see uh, of like a man of Gondor or something along those lines. Uh, they have heavy armor and an Easterling glaive, which is a hand and a half axe. Now, I think before they actually had this as an elven-made weapon or an elven blade, right? And they yes, actually, they unfortunately, they got rid of that, which is a little bit disappointing because I thought it was a really cool selling point for them uh, at fight four. It was actually really, really handy. It essentially made them fight four and a half, I felt. So uh, I thought that was a nice little thing they had in the past. Unfortunately, now it's just a hand and a half axe. You can still, you know, do some damage with them, but I feel like it's the fight value that lets them down. So it was really nice performing that. Unfortunately, not anymore. Um, They do have Heroic March, and that's how you get Heroic March in the list. I believe they're the only thing that has it. Uh, And you can swap your glaive for Armoured Horse and Sword for only 10 points, which is, uh, that's pretty good, I guess, Uh, just dropping the glaive, which you may not even necessarily use for an armoured horse for 10 points, making him only 60 points, which is very nice. Uh, You can also grab a bow for five and a shield for five. So he has phalanx and the gleaming horde also. So you can get a uh, pretty nice defense eight captain riding into combat if you're using that uh, gleaming horde with a shield, but otherwise pretty much a bog standard captain. Yeah, he's one of the... 
almost every list, I think captains are a, a pretty good choice because of the march. But this is one of the few lists where I think this guy is good because you've got the two might for heroic moves if you want to. You've got a pretty decent stat line, not amazing. You've got your, your tanking ability if you want to build it that way. You've got your march if you want to use that. But because of the things like the Dragonites for around the same points level and the ability to get your increase your movement somewhere else in the list, um, I don't think it's an auto choice like it would be in a lot of the other lists that I take. Yeah, I yeah, and I think you know that that's part of the part of my disappointment with the list. I, I think is that sort of some units get a little bit pushed to the wayside because there are just better options, right? But yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll get to that more later when we talk about tactics, I guess, and and the lists. So uh, the next profile, Jeremy, can you walk us through the Eastling War Priest, please? I will. Well, I'm going to ride through the Eastling War Priest because I always take him on horse nice. when I do. Uh, if for 60 points, you get your version of a shaman, the War Priest. So an Eastling man, infantry hero. Fortitude, so you get a good amount of troops now with the, the Eastling War Priest compared to a Shaman, so 12 troops is nice. Uh, you got Fight 3, which is rubbish, 4 plus, not used. Uh, the move of 6, of course. Strength 3, rubbish. Defense 5, probably not very good as well because no shield option, so he's pretty weak. Uh, 1 attack is rubbish. 2 wounds, okay, fine. Courage 4, yeah, sure. Um, standard Shaman, 1 Might, 3 Will, 1 Fate. Uh, you've got heavy armor, which is included in your defense five profile. You've got a battle stave, which is a spear or two-handed axe. So this is one of those models that has this really nice option, which uh, we'll see more of later on when our uh, Dunland and other models come out. We've Ooh, got excited already. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to mention Dunland at every opportunity in every episode until very we do nice, the Dunland list. Nice. It's going to happen every once. It's going to be like a where's where's Wally type type activity. <laughs> <laughs> His heroic actions are heroic channeling, so that that can be useful depending on how you're using your, your spells. But um, it's one that I tend to avoid because that one point of might can be used just to guarantee the spell goes through or or to get a move or something cheeky. Uh, he's got an armored horse option, which is always a good option to get, get a horse, get some movement. Um, you can use him then as a little bit of support in combat if you want to. You can get him where you need to. Uh, he can be on foot as well, this this model. He's got uh, Blade Wrath, which is a good spell for, for reliability, 2+. It's got a range of six inches, and this one increases your ability to wound quite well. So that's really nice combined with your Dragonite, your Amdurs, and your Kamuls, and anyone else that's doing some hitting. Um, and then you've got Fury for Easterling-only models. So they've got to have the Easterling keyword, which is also quite useful, because the courage of the Easterlings is about average through most of the list. So that that can be handy. Uh, once again, like the Captain, I feel like this is this is not an auto choice. It's one that you can get some use out of. It's... it's but um, oh. it's it's a good one. It's not not a bad choice for for when you're broken. I disagree. I think it is an no choice. Ooh, why is that, Kylie? Um, well, Fury bandwagon, hype train, let's go. Uh, Fury is is as good as everyone thinks it thinks it is because just auto pass courage just straight up is fantastic. But again, circling back to my little argument of the list is Amder and Dragonites. If you're taking multiple Dragonites at courage four. With no will, I don't want to be taking courage tests. Yeah, that's a fair on, call. On, a, on an 80-point hero, that is the bread and butter of your list. At courage four with no will. No, thank you. I am taking my shaman, and I am throwing fury up every game so that that doesn't have to happen. Okay, so you're taking this one over the captain, essentially? Is that that sort of little minor hero slot? That's, that's a pretty good point. And you know what? Something we didn't bring up as well was the army bonus for the Eastlings, which I'd, I'll just mention really quickly. So... It's called No Quarter Was Asked, and it says that easterly models receive plus one courage when their force is broken. So that's kind of against the War Priest kind of idea. Um, 
However, plus one's not great on Courage. What is it, four for the Dragon Knights? Courage four. Even Courage five can certainly fail, and you can find them running away. I know what's happened to me. Um, Especially when you got, like, Harbinger of Evils that just seem to prop yeah. up every army these days. Like, yeah. your Courage yeah, fours true. generally don't stay as Courage fours. They jump down to Courage three. So really that bonus mm. only, for me at least, the way I see it, it's just keeping the list at Courage three. Yeah, now that yeah. every keeping, single person... Um, every, every person plays um, that the bonus deck has another part. Yeah, yeah. That that bonus has another part, which is that additionally, once per game, in scenarios in which a dice is rolled to see when the game ends, so long as there at least is at least one Eastling hero model alive and on the battlefield, the Eastling player may choose to have the dice re-rolled if the scenario ends before they wish it to. Um, that's a pretty cool rule. You're never out of it with Eastlings. You always have a chance to get back. Oh, you have one chance. Is it once per game? Oh, it is oh, once per game. Yeah, oh, it is. Yes, yeah, sorry. It is once per game. Yeah. For a second there, I thought it wasn't. But uh, no, no, it remained the same as before. It's only once per game. But look, that, that could be the one turn that you need. Honestly, I, I don't mind that one. Um, I feel like the plus one courage just doesn't give you a whole lot. But I don't know. They kind of themed it um, as... The Eastlings were the ones at the Battle of Pelennor who uh, fought to the death. They were the only ones. They were backed against the river and they fought to the last man, which was pretty cool. But uh, I feel like they could have maybe come up with something a little bit more inventive than just plus one courage and re- one reroll. But, you know, it is what it is. I agree that the Eastling War Priest is quite a good option, I think. Um, Blade Wrath on Amdur against a high defense hero could be the difference. Uh, I feel, uh, especially because you can go two-handed with him as well. So charging in, you can take out almost anything if you Blade Wrath him up. But, uh, yeah, as you say, Kylie, the, the Fury is not to be underestimated in this list. It's actually quite important. So, And I've noticed that. I've had Dragon Knights run from the field before and other Courage 5 heroes or 4 heroes. And, yeah, I, I feel like certainly if you're taking multiple Dragon Knights, an Eastling War Priest wouldn't go far astray. Uh, and you know what? The fact that they're a hero of fortitude is really cool, and I'm glad that they did that because if they were a minor hero, I think I'd swing the other way. I think I'd feel like they're just not that worth it. Yeah, you've convinced me. You've both convinced me because I've played the games, and at the start of this edition, I was almost against Fury. I was a little bit down. Like, like I thought it wasn't as important as it is. But you're right. You can have those non-games now that Kieran's in coming up in all the elf lists, that Army of the Dead are around all the time, that the elves have those tricky other things, Gladrials and stuff, that the evil have the wraiths and the, the monsters. You do fight Terra quite Not a lot. Angmar. Yeah, oh, Angmar, yes, 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 nasty list. So, I, I yeah, I, I think you've convinced me that this is a good option. And then, yes, Matt, you've even made it even more clear because the Hero of Fortitude means that you can actually take your, your infantry block of this guy and... and You'd, at that point, you could just use him almost as you would a captain. He's got the one heroic move if you need it, but he's there just to back up that, that infantry block that holds the line. And if you really, really, really need to, you can channel uh, his fury to get that six-plus save. Yeah, I, uh, do you remember a while back, Kylie? I think this was in a game against you. I pulled out the, oh, my my uh, priest has a two-handed uh, weapon. Do you uh, remember that? That, that frustrates I, I I do remember that game because you... I think yeah. You- you also blade raft onto that turn as well. And yeah. it was so and it was just that like, actually made a he, difference, like the he, two-handed weapon. He comes a strength eight two-handed weapon at me from out of nowhere. Um okay. 
yeah, yeah that was that was a lot of fun <laughs> and it worked it worked it came off so yeah. like I can't remember I, what I was fighting no. against or anything, but I remember using a two-handed uh, weapon with my War Priest, which was pretty cool. The only criticism I can have for the War Priest is that I, just for sakes, sake of completeness, I would have liked to have seen um, Phalanx and Gleaming Horde on his... Uh, oh, does he not have Phalanx? No, yeah. he doesn't. Oh, that's an oversight. That's disappointing. Yeah, it's um, it, it, it's a bit of the... um, It's a bit, it's a bit like the Gundabad Black Shield Shaman not having uh, Hatred. I mean, yeah, he's still a good yeah, that, I, He still hates dwarves. Why does we he... might want to check the FAQ because that seems like something that might come up. Um, if not, we might send a message out because uh, that seems like something he should have. And gleaming horde as well. I think. Yeah, you make a good point. Anyway. Oh well, let, let let's get on to the uh, the remainder of the list. So we've got two warrior profiles for the Eastlings. Just the simple Eastling warriors at seven points. They are man, Eastling, infantry, warrior, uh, and they have pretty standard man profile. They are move six, fight three, four plus shoot, strength three, defense five, one attack, one wound, courage three. In fact, your standard man with heavy armor. No, no difference really to a man of Gondor, I believe. Exactly the same. Uh, they have a sword or a dagger, so they can feint or stab. Uh, their options, though, are interesting. You can get a banner, of course. You can upgrade to Black Dragon for two points. So what that does is it gives them plus one fight and plus one courage, which is, you know, pretty good. Um, I, I kind of wish it was just the one point, but then it would be auto-include all of the time, I think. So, uh, yeah, it, it's not the choice. worst thing ever. I'm, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it it is a choice, definitely going either Black Dragon or not. So I exactly, guess I can't yeah. fault them for that. Yeah, especially when you take like a block of like twenty Easterlings, suddenly that that upgrade to Black Dragons is a forty point block, and that's you know two two three artifacts or you know another four infantry models. That's that's it starts to become significant, especially yeah. when you you know factor in an army of, of of 30 now you're looking at the points for like a captain or something like that it's like oh do you don't you if so how many i think this yeah. one's a, an <laughs> easy choice for me i always go for the the pikeman just like whatever it is a, a small amount of the pikeman with the the cataphract uh sorry the the um the black dragon upgrade for the infantry because that way you get them they last longer because they can be in the back rank they get that fight for that moves around uh, if you need them at the very end of the game to go off and capture objectives, they can go do that fine as anyone else. But I feel like you don't want all your infantry models because it does add up really quickly. Yeah, and this is an instance of, um, in the previous rules, they had a number of these types of upgrades and they've carried through to this, this edition where they don't actually have a model for it. So it is a conversion opportunity. Now, your, mile, your mileage may vary whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Maybe like me, you'd prefer just to be able to buy them outright sometimes so you can just run them in a list. Uh, maybe you're more like Jeremy and you love the opportunity to convert a bunch of interesting things in a different way to make them stand out. Uh, you know, what, whatever the case, it is what it is. Uh, the other options for Eastling War Gear are a pike for just the one point, a shield for one point, and a bow for one point. So your standard stuff that Eastlings have always had. Now, the phalanx rule, which we've already discussed, but just to read it out in depth, Eastling models can use pikes and shields at the same time without penalty. I think they're the only models in the game that can do this, I want to say. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So 
so there is one other pike model that can shield or can use the shielding rule, I should say, and that is the Galadrim Court Guard. Yes, uh, defense five, not defense six. Correct, yes. Yeah. So, look, defense six, shield and pike for nine points, pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. Nothing yeah. too insane, but, like, it's it's a good basic troop. Um, they can also make way for up to two. So, so both pikes can make way when the front model loses a fight, as long as all three have the phalanx rule. So, yeah, it essentially removes that uh, need to sort of stagger your lines and, and create avenues to get out, which uh, which is nice. But to be honest, I still do that most of the time because it means that you're a little bit longer line rather than forcing yourself um, into a very small frontage. But in a, in a uh, choke point, that's fantastic. Really, really good, especially in a, a longer, narrow choke point where um, you may not have the opportunity to go three ranks without trapping yourself. So, uh, look, a pretty handy rule in some situations. Fun fact you don't have to be pike supporting to back away to your models. True. Yeah, that's actually really useful. It stops a lot of the traps because there's a lot of times you get trapped because you can only back up one model. So having the pikes behind you, even supporting other combats, can be can be a nice little bonus. It does reduce your traps quite quite a lot yeah definitely finally jeremy will uh ride us through the cataphracts the cavalry <laughs> model of this list you know me too well matt uh, the cataphracts i do i do you get a bargain horse for 14 points you've got a base uh fight three move six but he's gonna have a horse of course uh defense six one attack one wound courage three basic boring cavalry model but you've got the defense six baked in because you've got the shield that comes with it uh unfortunately you get no lance upgrade like the gondor ones but you do have a banner which can be can be useful um it depends if, if you want that or you want amdur to have it or you want infantry to have it you've got your war drum which is a great upgrade for 15 points it basically means that you can increase the speed of your infantry and your cavalry quite a bit which is great for this army we'll talk about that in the tactics quite a bit but it's a really good option to have i wish more models would have this option uh, it only affects easterlings but that's all you need you can upgrade to Black Dragons again for two points, and this is a very tempting option because Fight 4 Cavalry is very good. So Fight 4, Courage 4 can actually be quite useful on the Cataphracts as well because because they're Cavalry, usually at the end of the game, if you have to run and get some objectives, these are the guys that are going to go dart off and try and grab the objectives. So they may be outside your Fury range if you've taken the Fury or maybe outside a Hero range as well. You've got your Gleaming Horde and your Phalanx Special Rule. The Phalanx is only going to work when you jump on foot. The Gleaming Horde is the one that's very useful when you go into little groups of three. So you put, make them a little triangle formation in a group of three, and it means that shooting them down is actually quite a challenge. So that, that's a nice little defense there. Once again, the Gleaming Horde doesn't show up in combat a whole lot because you usually don't set up your, your horses in a defensive formation. But on the way in, it's really useful, and it means that that a lot of times you don't lose any of these guys to shooting against normal troopers, which is which is a really nice bonus. I think this model sums up my misgivings with the Easterling list, and that is that this is a mid-price cavalry unit, and it is the softest-hitting cavalry in the game. Hey, 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 there hey, is hey. nothing that hits softer than cataphracts. Then they're heavily armoured, but I can't think of it. Can you guys think of anything? What hits weaker than a simple strength three one attack cavalry? Well, there's things that hit about the same um, as well. But uh, you've got you've got your defense bonus. So you've got things like your Eastland cavalry. You've got your um, your Dunland cavalry is a bit different now. They're strength four, but they're still very fragile. About the same price. 
your Rohan hits about the same, but they get they get lots of upgrades. I don't think it's a bad option. You still get the knockdown. You still get the four attacks. Strength through, yes, is not the be-all and end-all, but I've always found them quite useful, and they've got some staying power. Mm, I, I just compare them to almost any other cavalry in the game and find that they come up short. They just don't do what I want cavalry to do, which is when I charge an infantry model and win the fight, I want to trample them into the dust. And more often than not, I find that cataphracts fail to get that kill. They and, and they're not that great at winning the fight either, to be honest. So I just don't see a lot going for them. The one thing that I do think they have going from them is that super cheap war drum. Only 15 points, and it gives you a free march every turn. And can be stacked with heroic march if you happen to take a captain. So I'd say that's the one selling point for me for the cataphracts. And I'd potentially in some lists would only take a single cataphract with the drum. I think you're crazy, Matt. I think they are fantastic models. <laughs> and and take an army list that doesn't have access to cavalry and you really miss it. These guys do a job. Yes, they're not probably the best priced ones. Yes, they're not the most optimized ones ever. But they're Easterlings, so they synergize with everyone else. They've got the Gleaming Horde, so that at the very least you can sit them in there and protect your heroes with them. So if you've got Amdur or the Dragonites or whatever, even just Amdur and a Dragonite and a Cataphract in a little formation, it's going to protect you against shooting as you come in. I think I think they're good models. Knockdown is a fantastic rule. It's a basically traps win games type rule, but you don't have to get the trap for it. Uh, it disrupts the lines. Their fast moving speed is very useful. The war drum is incredibly useful. I I actually really like these models, Matt. Yes, would I like them to have a lance? Would I like them to have strength seven? Would I like them to have ten attacks? Of course I would when I'm playing with them. But I don't mind them. They they're ones that. When I've played with them, they, they if you don't expect them to just one-on-one kill everything, if you know that you're going in there to help out your pike block, to go in the flanks, to support someone, to get extra attacks, to get extra knockdowns, they usually do the job. Mm, you're not wrong, but like you could say the same for all cavalry models. So I just don't see anything special about these Which, guys. They don't have to be special. Not everyone has to have the best of everything in there. Not everyone has to be old. Well, not necessarily the best, but just something different. You can. Uh, I don't feel like they have piercing. much different. Just out of you know, as an aside, was that Kylie? Uh you can give them strength four by giving them piercing strike. That is true. Yep, you, you can swap their sword for a axe or a pick, and yeah, look, may, maybe that's the way to go. At fifteen points, um, going strength four and potentially losing your high defense may not be the worst option. Honestly, that that is one of the few models I would potentially consider swapping the the weapon over on. But uh, look, Jeremy, I, I think we're kind of making different points. I think you're saying that I, I want cataphracts to be the like some kind of incredible unit that can do a lot of different things and can power game and all that sort of thing. Whereas really, I just want something a little bit more interesting. Like they gave them plus one defense when they're in a three model formation. I... I don't know. I, I just find that kind of dull. I just wanted something cool. And I do like the war drum. I think the war drum's really awesome. But, I mean, that's that's a single model in your army. That's not what the actual cataphracts do, if that makes sense. I think there's a so, lot of armies that would give anything to get a war drum on their cavalry models. That, that, that's, definitely, that's, definitely. That's huge. Most of the other armies have to take it as a 40-point hero that basically that's all it does. So I think I think that's that's good. I, I disagree, Matt. I think... I think the, the the fact that you got the option to upgrade them so you could have two types of the cavalry, the fact that you just got the cavalry options, I think that's enough for it. 
interesting. Yes, they don't have crazy special rules or anything like that, but I think I think the Gleaming Horde is interesting. I think it's one of the few cavalry models that that doesn't mind facing up to, to shooting. A lot of the other ones would be so scared that they'll stay out of range or behind models. These ones, as I got played against, uh, you, they could just walk up in front of you shooting and, and laugh it off. So I think they have some interest. And keep in mind that this army is all about supporting those nice heroes. So these guys do the job. They keep up with them. They can get the knockdowns. They can get the traps around the side if you need to. They can carry a banner if you really want to carry a banner and go off on a mission. I, I like them. I, I guess Kylie's going to have the deciding vote because you don't seem to be that impressed. I really like them. Kylie, what do you think? Uh, in true Green Dragon fashion, I am going to park my ass on the fence and hope it is not Picket. Honestly, I can see where both of you are coming from. Honestly, I just see them as a cavalry model that's handy to have in, in your in, in your list. Yes, uh, they're a bit weak compared to some of the other cavalry in the game. But that said, there's still cavalry and high defense cavalry with some pretty useful options. So, yeah. Call it a draw then. <laughs> yeah, fine, fine. I'm happy with that. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I think we've gone through everything in the Eastling list there. So we'll just move right along to our next segment, shall we? Okay, keep it secret, keep it safe, Jeremy. Eastlings, uh, as we have discussed in the Nothine, I'm, I'm not 100% sold on where they're at at the moment. Also, listeners, unfortunately, Kylie couldn't be here for the rest of this recording, but uh, she will be on a future episode, don't worry about that. I think she gave plenty of opinions already, so you've got enough to ponder over with all of her thoughts. But yeah, know thine enemy. Jeremy, lead us right into it. What do you think about Easterlings? See, I've heard your opinion, Matt, and you've been a little bit down on Easterlings as far mm-hmm. as I'm aware. So I've, I'm, that surprised me, and I, I don't think it's a unique take either, because when I chat to people about Easterlings, it seems that there's not a huge amount of passion going around for them, which I, I don't see, I don't really get. I think, I think my theory is that it could be to do with how people play the army compared to how I play the army. So I, I think one of the mistakes you can make is do a direct Gondor comparison. So if you go and set them up like a Gondor army, where you're expecting your infantry to be a shield wall, you're expecting your cavalry to come in and just, just wipe out something on its own, and you're expecting your hero just to hold the line, I feel like you're not playing to the strengths of the Eastlings over the Gondor list. The main difference is the, the Gondor has the bodyguard and the fight four throughout, and then a huge choice of tr- uh, heroes to do whatever you want to do. The Eastlings don't have that huge choice. Their heroes are almost all designed for hero assassination. So the way I I would consider playing Easterlings. This is a force that you keep the force together. You don't spread them out, I, if possible. If you have to, you have to. That's same with every army. You, you've got to go. If you have to do something different, you do it. But ideally, you put them all in a block and you use the fact that you've got some marches and a war drum to move and fight combats as soon as possible. So you're trying to push into the enemy formation 
as soon as possible in a bit of a confined area, and you're just trying to get your infantry in combat. You don't really care if they're going to do any damage or not. If they get in without the pikes, you shield. If they get in with the pikes, you fight a combat. You don't expect your infantry to do any of the kills. You expect them to just win combats and survive, or lose combats and be hard to kill, to grind down a little bit. Because what you're doing is, whatever heroes you're taking, Dragonites, Amdur, Kamul, or a combination of those three, you're using to go and kill other heroes. That's your whole aim. Your aim is to take out their heroes and have heroes left, and then your heroes become troop killers at that point. So this is one where you can be opportunistic. You can go take out any weak heroes. You see an R1 around, go charge her with a Dragon Knight. If you see a big hero, Aragorn or something, start getting some spells of Kamul and try and knock him down, try and strike up. Use Amdur with his with his Elven Blade to try and win the combat off a strike as well. Amdur's special rule about how he gets the free heroic strikes to, to go against heroes. This is a hero assassination army. And don't be afraid to shield with a lot of your troops. You have lots of shields. So shield with your troops. Give your heroes time to kill the other heroes. Try to trap their heroes against other warriors or terrain. But this is an aggressive army that wants to be in combat as much as possible. It's really interesting the way that you put that because, like... The it's funny because it sounds like this may just be the perfect list for me. Like, I, that's exactly the kind of playstyle that I've kind of developed with uh, my my elves that I've been running a lot lately. Just sort of that grinding front that uh, you use to hold up for a long time, and then your heroes do a lot of the work. So, you know what? Maybe in the future, this this may be something that I'm interested in. Um, despite the fact that I was a little bit, you know, I have my misgivings on on how they perform. Yeah, I think your problem is that you've you've been disappointed with how your infantry is performed, and I'm not because my infantry, the job is just to be there. They're, they're there to hold up space, to be around, and occasionally to provide support to my hero, but I'm just there to block up space with them, really, and that's what they do really well. If you expect them to go and wipe a line, they don't do that because they don't... The fight four is, is expensive if you buy some black dragons. Uh, you can put the black dragons as pikemen, which is always fun, or you can put them as front rank either way. But you can't, you used to be able to support your, your cavalry with some pikes, you can't do that anymore. So your infantry basically locks in, your hitters go and be opportunistic, you try to go for heroes, and you, you, you go in with your hero into their hero. If you can get two heroes in, you do that. If you can compel them forward with Kamul, you do that. And most of your heroes are getting points of might back for killing heroes, so you're getting an added incentive as well. So if you, if you do that, you potentially play this army really well but it's also a fun way of playing because it's very interactive you're going in the enemy's face you're not avoiding them you're, you're, you're punching them in the face and see how they respond and that's a fun way of playing because it's interactive for both people if you lose it's a fun game because you lose by fighting lots of combats if you win it's a fun game because you win by taking out their heroes really quickly so i, I really enjoy this play style it's actually pretty similar to my gundabad play style when i design a list in a certain way with maybe bolg or azog or or trolls leading it and it's a really fun way of playing it could take people off guard because you move so fast you just get in their face and lock it in and an archery army hates this they really hate you running forward so quickly that war drum really is crucial to the list isn't it like i think i i think a large part of the reason that it is so cheap to get in there at only 15 points uh on top of the cataphract that you put it on uh is to do with the fact that you kind of need it in in this army in the way that it operates and i think it's a great thing i, I think that it has that uniqueness and and it allows the list to perform in a way that it couldn't do in the past before that war drum was introduced i agree i agree with that one uh we talked about some of the spells you can do with the the priest earlier on but remember you've got to make a choice early on if you're going to be a fury priest 
or you're going to be a support priest that's going to be buffing your characters. You can do both, but it's very hard because the fury runs out when you run out of will. So some thoughts of this one. If the enemy's got anything that saps will, I would consider holding off on the fury for a little while because you don't want to cast it early, then get your will sapped. You prefer to even try to resist a sap will first time and try and hope for the six. Uh, you've got to make a call. Sometimes you don't actually need the Fury. If you're not against a terror-causing army and you don't think you're going to break or you think you're only going to break for one turn, your Fury might not be the option. It might be that you go aggressive and try to go for three uh, Enchanted Blades, I think it is, and try to up the the the, the hitting power of Amdur yeah. or the Dragon Knight or Kamul. Blade Wrath. Blade Wrath for the Priest, yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with that. That's um, something that you need to consider if you are taking a War Priest along... And, you know, most of the time you're going to be doing it for the Fury because that's why you've got it, really. But, yeah, the Blade Wrath can be absolutely crucial and the Fury may do absolutely nothing. So, yeah, consider what your opponent has before you, you know, immediately throw down a Fury on the first turn. Yeah, I agree. And now, if it's an army that you're going to be playing while you're broken, so there's some games where you want to just run onto an objective and grind out and die. Those ones are ones you definitely want the Fury because you want to control when the game ends. You don't want to just all run away off the objective. But other times, there's times when you don't actually need the Fury. And there's there's some games where I'll hold it off and not use it until about halfway through the game because then I've decided whether I'm going to use it or not. Because I, I don't channel the fury i don't like that i don't really want the six i think it's unbiased because i feel like i don't roll a lot of sixes i probably do but (laughs) i i I like that point of might for something else potentially and i i just hold off for a couple turns to see what's going to happen if i lose a a bunch of models in the first couple turns and i feel like i need those extra turns to stay around 100 fury i like fury if i'm going against a terror causing army always fury all day long but other times, if I can get away with it, the, the Enchanted Blades is tempting. It can, it can do some damage, but it also keeps my opponent guessing, which is also valuable in itself. Yeah, purely the, the number of attacks that you can uh, operate with with that Blade Wrath going down is, is pretty awesome. I, I love your point about playing that kind of game where you sort of sacrifice the bulk of your list and maintain objectives. That's something that I would often do because uh, it means your opponent is often tricked into think they're winning, they're doing really well, they're destroying your list, but they don't actually have any points down. Uh, and if you can just hold those objectives and allow yourself to be taken out, uh, you, Eastlings are great at it because if you need another turn or two, you can force it. And if you don't, you can keep your Eastling War Priest away from the rest of your list somewhere on an objective where it's not actually going to keep that courage up. So I think it's quite a good list at doing that. Uh, and True. Uh, yeah, as I say, that's that's something that I really enjoy doing. I love the look on my opponent's face at the end where they're like, "Yes, I smashed him." Oh, I lost. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you play that, you you don't mind giving up the break a lot of times, which you might because you're probably playing with numbers that that are almost an elite army type numbers with with non elite infantry. So you often break in this army, which you don't mind because your heroes are such good hitters that that it's not the biggest concern. But You've also got the added bonus of things like Reconnoiter. This is an army that loves a Reconnoiter or a Seize the Camp or anything like this because the war drum on a horse means that you can send a little cataphract unit maybe with a, a Dragonite along the flanks and pretty much chop up anything that, that's that's trying to get you. It's a really hard-hitting force, but move at, at incredible speeds. You can go 15 inches without spending any resources with the cavalry with a war drum, which is, which is very, very fast. You're outrunning warbats, which is... 
it's something that just doesn't really happen. You can chase them down even if you if you're getting one of those as a as a rear guard force. So it's a it's an army that that feels like a grinding force with with a lot of speed and a lot of a lot of interesting hero based tricks. Yeah, you do still have to be careful not to overcommit with those cataphracts. Like if you do send that small force out, I re- I remember a game uh, quite a few years ago, Jeremy. We played in Adelaide on a boiling hot day, much like it is today in Melbourne. Aging mm-hmm. the podcast. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> And uh, I had the cataphracts almost at the other side of the board before your Rohirrim even came on. And then the Rohirrim did come on and promptly wiped them out. So you do have to be still cautious with them if you're going to go down that path. But yeah, it's definitely something you can do. If I'd had one more turn, I would have got them off the board and you would have been able to do absolutely nothing. Yeah, it's one of those ones where you, you almost pin first and then go for it. So you've got mm-hmm. to be careful about when you get your moment, but the breakthrough is really decisive because it's a breakthrough that they just can't catch you. Even if they start doing things like marches, they still can't reach you. So be be, be aware of it as an option, but you're right. The cavalry will not hold up if it gets captured by a sizable force. It's great at being opportunistic and taking out a couple models, but not a whole lot. So it's, it's advantage there is it moves really fast. Now, the nice thing about that, though, is you can use it for a really nice uh, tactical feint so if you're moving your infantry forward, you might want to distract the opponent by bringing your cavalry to one area. So flick them around one of the flanks where they're protected, but then next turn, bring them right back or turn after, bring them right back. So the idea is, you know, they're going to end up intermixed with your pike block, but the opponent doesn't know that. So they'll, they'll start charging them. They'll start bringing models around. You make sure you stay out of their range, keep them safe and make it look like you're being aggressive and then hopefully break up their formation. So when your infantry does hit, it has a better chance of doing some grinding. Yep, yep, just pulling off feints, exactly. Um, forcing your opponent to go where they don't necessarily need to be and then just out-position them. Yep, perfect. So I think that's that's pretty much the, the tactics for them. I don't know of a huge amount of other ways to play the Easterlings. They, they are, I feel like if you play them, you pretty much commit to heroes doing a lot of the work. I, I can't see the, the Captain-War-Priest combination with nothing else to support it being a particularly viable option. The cavalry is good, but it's not great. So it doesn't really survive that on its own. It's really got to have the hero support. And they're really good for helping out the heroes, but they're not the the strike force on their own as such. So I would make sure that if you're designing an Easterling army, if your idea is to make your heroes do as much of the work as possible, you're probably on the right track in terms of tactics. Yeah, definitely. A lot of food for thought there on, on how they could mm. be run. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a little bit more excited about how I might be <laughs> be doing Eastlings in the future. Um, let's move right along to our next segment, shall we? We shall, we shall. Scenario Spotlight. The Black Gate, the Right Hill. Upon the Right Hill at the Battle of the Black Gate, the White Horse of Rohan and the White Swan of Dol Amroth can be seen held aloft. Upon the mound stands Aemir, the new King of Rohan, with as many Rohirrim as he can muster alongside Prince Imrahil, the Knights of Dol Amroth, an alliance forged upon the Pelennor that must now stand firm against the final threat of Mordor. As the armies of Mordor and Harad swarm Aragorn and those upon the left hill, another army of Moran and Orcs surges towards those upon the right hill. Alongside their Orcish allies, ranks of highly skilled Eastling warriors march into battle, their thick golden plate gleaming in the waning sunlight. 
The combined arms of orcs and Easterlings is one that could easily spell doom for the armies of Rohan and Dol Amroth. As the battle lines clash, warriors from the kingdoms of Rohan and Dol Amroth must fight side by side with one another, keeping alive their newly forged alliance as they fight to the last against forces of the Dark Lord. If Eomir and Imrahil can lead their followers in their all but impossible task to defeat the armies of Sauron, there may still be a chance for Frodo to reach the fires of Mount Doom before their lives are spent. Alright, another scenario spotlight, Jeremy's favourite, as we all know, and we're talking about the Blackgate, the Right Hill, which can be found on page 66 of Gondor at War. I was just thinking that if you're going to buy a couple pages from Gondor at War, these are definitely good pages. They look really nice. You've got Imre Hill and AMF fighting on a hill, and then you've got a nice picture of some orcs as well. Absolutely. It looks really cool. As we know, pivotal moment in the in the movies when the forces are surrounded, the, the uh, men of the West fighting against the allies of Sauron. And yeah, this is the right hill. So Dol Amroth and Rohan versus Moranans and Easterlings. Really cool matchup. Interesting allies there as well. We'll, we'll start with the layout. So you're on a hill, obviously. The good deployment area is right on top of the hill. Uh, there is a three-inch bubble at the top, three-inch radius, so six-inch bubble, really. And uh, within the next six inches, no evil models can deploy. And then everything outside of that, the evil can deploy. So they can completely surround the good side before the battle begins, which is obviously a massive advantage. Mm, it is. Now, I want to talk a little bit about some discussion point here. I've had some people in our, in the uh, scenario group. So there's a Lord of the Rings Facebook scenario group talking about whether or not to treat the hill as defendable. Uh, and I prefer not to do that because I don't want to turn this into a siege. So I don't want it to be like a, a defendable height difference. So I like it as a hill from, from a looks point of view, but I treat it as a hill that they can just sort of walk up and attack. So I, that's how I prefer it. If you prefer to use it as, as a defensive hill that you're high enough to get some bonuses, go for it. But I feel like that would change the scenario quite a bit I think you could try it both ways. You could see how you run it the one way and then see if you feel like you want to do it the other way, depending on, on how it goes and how you feel it's balanced. Yes, yes. Very true. Mm. Um, so that's the layout uh, the, uh, and the starting positions. Uh, we'll talk about the objectives of this scenario. The captains of the West are well aware that there is little hope for themselves, yet if they can fight hard enough to draw Sauron's gaze away from the plains of Mordor, they can provide Frodo with the opportunity he needs. The game lasts until the end of a turn, where the good force has been reduced to less than 25% of its starting numbers. If, when this happens, the evil player has less than 50% of their models remaining, then the good player wins. If the evil player has more than 50% of their models remaining, the evil player wins. So pretty simple conditions, really. Um, and evil needs to do quite a lot in this scenario, I would have thought. Yeah, you think that. We'll go through the participants first, but I'll, I'll talk about our playthroughs in just a moment. So on good side, we've got Imrahil Amir, both on foot. So that's an interesting choice. We've got a captain of Dol Amroth and a captain of Rohan. So these these are really handy. 12 knights of Dol Amroth, one with a banner. 13 warriors of Rohan, four with shield, four with throwing spear, four with bow and a banner. So a good amount of warriors on the good side, but only two named heroes. For evil, you've got two Moran and Orc captains with shield, two Easterling captains with shield, 24 Moran and Orcs, uh, six with shield, six with spear, six with spear shield, and six with nothing else, 20 Easterling warriors, 
and this is one of those plastic boxes. So it's eight shield, eight bow, and four pike shield, which is not necessarily what you would want in a game, but it's a nice participant, and it's good that you can go straight for the, the plastic sets. Yeah, I'm glad that they've con continued to run it that way with the scenarios where you can just play them pretty much straight out of the... You, you know exactly what boxes you need yeah. when, when you're doing these, yeah, which is pretty good. Absolutely. No, I, I do like that. You've got a special rule, Inspiring Heraldry. The range of all good banners is increased to three inches, so you've got two banners, so that's really helpful. You've also got a banner effect for Imrahil, but yeah, the, the banners pretty much will cover your whole battle line. You're always getting those rerolls, which is really nice, especially if one of the banners goes down. And you can also, got, you've got a designer's note saying that you can play the two scenarios, the left hill as well, which we won't talk about in this episode, simultaneously, and then have them traveling from one board to the other, which is kind of cool. Now, in terms of tactics for this this scenario, the good side uh, can tend to get overwhelmed pretty quickly. The, the, the evil force hits really hard. Moran and Orcs are a really good ally for Easterlings. They really do hit hard. They've got the high defense. So you've got to almost go aggressive with your captain. So Imrahil, Aemir, a captain of Dol Amroth, captain of Rohan, and use those models to take on as many Moranans as possible while the Knights of Dol Amroth engage the Easterlings wherever possible because the Knights of Dol Amroth have a significant advantage against the Easterlings. And the Rohan just try to hold their own and shield against the, the Moranans. So any other Moranans they can engage. Moranans actually are really good at taking out Knights of Dol Amroth because they've got the strength four. So you want to keep your really powerful Knights of Dol Amroth away from Moranan Orcs wherever possible. But the heroes are pretty good at Moranans. All the heroes uh, happily will face Moranan Orcs. So you get your heroes doing as much work as possible. Usually a couple of them go down because they just get overwhelmed. They spend a lot of resources to do fights and things. But that's okay. You don't mind that because they count as a model it's a it's a really nice interesting potentially tense tense game the easterlings are probably one of the weaker forces in this so in our easterling episode that's a bit uh bit nasty but the, the there's 50 models on the evil side it's a lot that are taking on this good side yeah 50 around 50 versus around 30 so the significant numbers advantage now my first impression and i, I haven't played the scenario but looking at it uh, there is no time limit or turn limit. Uh, yes, that's correct. And the evil side actually does have more bows. Double the amount of bows, in fact. Correct. Than the good side. So, having said that, they could potentially try and do some kiting stuff and just sort of whittle the good side down. Um, that seems like yes. potentially a flaw. Yes, but you've got throwing spears, which can potentially help you out a little bit. You've got some bows... Um, I I wouldn't do that because it, it's it's such a small board. It's a two by two foot board, so pretty much you can't kite for more than one turn anyway. You might choose to have one turn, and that lends itself to the the good side almost riding out, which none of them have horses. But if you let them do that, if you spread out a big circle and and avoid the good charging you, they will all run towards one side with the throwing weapons. You might get a couple shots off of your Easterlings, which don't tend to do a lot, because you're still looking at sixes to wound against most things of eight warriors. It's not it's not amazing. And then you end up taking too long to get the rest of your force in. So I think the better strategy with evil is to just engage everything as soon as possible, because when everything's engaged, you start killing Rohan pretty quickly. You start, if you can get your Moranans into the Knights of Doamoth, they will also go down very quickly. Because they're looking at one attack with a reroll for a banner. There's no spear supports in this army. So you're looking at basically the equivalent of two attacks for each of the good models. And you've got spears across the whole evil force. So I don't think it's necessarily a, 
a good option to kite with the evil side. And the evil captains, I would just go as hard as I can to kill as many infantry models as can. I wouldn't even bother with the heroes. I would go just use the might of the captains to just kill infantry, kill infantry, kill infantry. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, traps win games, don't they? So yes, <laughs> it's probably a good idea to get that surround uh, and avoid potentially uh, only fighting on one side and and using that number advantage, obviously. Yeah. Mm, yeah. So it's very much a it's a bit of a brutal scenario. It's one that that like a lot of these ones tend to swing pretty quickly. So once you get a few kills advantages, uh, if the evil side manages to set up a lot more smaller traps, they'll win. If the good side can punch a hole with the the Maranans with the heroes. And they'll kill them pretty quickly as well because they only have to kill half the force. So you've got some matchups there. I feel like the good side, if you lose your captains early, you'll lose. If your captains are surviving till the end of the game, you'll probably get the win. Yeah, really, really interesting. Um, so just looking at that objectives again, you need to bring the good force down to seven models and retain at least 25, I think, if I've got those numbers correct. Maybe 24. So, yeah, look, it's it's a pretty tough one. Actually, I think what they've done is they've made both sides have an odd number of models, which is really good because then there's no uh, potential for a draw there. So that's pretty smart on, on their behalf. Um, do they, does the evil have an odd number of models? You've got... I, I think they do. Uh, two, four... They've got 48 according to my count. Oh, no, yeah, you're right. 48. They should have thrown one more in there. whoopsie does. Oh, well. So what happens if you end up on exactly 50? No, it's, it says less than yeah, 50. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not exactly 50. So, it's more than 50, less than 50. I know. And who cares if it's yeah. a draw in the scenario? That, that, that's that's a good story as well. That's a win for the good side anyway, really, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I would call that a win for good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Frodo got to the volcano, if that's the case, I would say. Mm, so it's a little fun scenario. There's not a lot of Eastling scenarios around currently. But there was a book called Shadow in the East years and years ago, which focused mostly on the Easterlings. And if you're a massive Easterling fan and a scenario fan, it's probably worth seeing if you can pick that up and modify some of the scenarios. I think the new rule set is actually pretty solid for it. So a lot of the scenarios will work in there. There's ones where Kamul's basically going and infiltrating a little Gondor setup. You've got Kirion and Murin and Dra hanging around. You've got some dwarves against Eastlings. It's a, it's a fun little campaign. Uh, Kandish as well in a little palisade, which you might be able to use your Rohan palisade for. Very true. I actually could not recommend this book more. It was my favorite book back in the day out of all of the ones that were released, and there were many of them. Uh, and it really got me inspired to, to create my Eastling army when I originally did. So yeah, massive praise for it. I actually realized that I have two copies of it. I don't know how that happened. I must have loved it so much I bought a second one. So <laughs> there we go. Definitely uh, see if you can find that one on eBay or see if you have a friend who has it or something. Or has two, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly, who has two, yes. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're fun to right. I really, I really hope we're going to get uh, a, an Eastern Kingdoms type uh, book because I feel like the War of the Ring where the Eastlings took on the dwarves is something we haven't really explored a lot. So we had, um, was it, was it Brand or it was one of the kings that was... Yeah, I believe it was... Um, oh, gosh, what's his name? Bard's grandson? I think it was Brand. But Brand. I, I could, I, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. I, him holding up and, and holding up in Erebor while the Eastlings attacked simultaneously as the other events of the War of the Ring would be a really interesting oh, part if, to look if at. If I remember correctly, there, there is potential for an absolutely amazing scenario with um, Thorin... The th no, no, Dane himself, was it not? Dane himself 
fighting at the gates of Erebor, fighting off the Easterling incursion. And uh, he's felled by the axes of the Easterlings. And then Brand runs out and defends his body and uh, I think drags him back inside and, and they both perish. And it's just an incredible... Yes. Like, it's it's one of those things that's hidden away sort of in the Lord of the Rings lore, but it's, a, a to me, a really inspiring moment. It's why Dane is my favourite dwarf, because it's just such an epic moment for him. And I... I really wish, actually, that that had been in Shadow in the East. I was surprised, kind of, that it wasn't. But, yeah, look, there, there's a lot of potential there for a future release and a lot of options for heroes and that sort of thing. And and the way that they've been doing the releases recently with uh, a, a sort of a mix of different heroes from different factions would, would be absolutely perfect for it. It would tie into it really, really well. So... Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed that's what we get. Yeah, no, I, I really hope so. There's a lot of other things I could do as well. So it's not something that I assume is going to happen next or anything. But I feel like they've been really going through the books with a fine-tooth comb, finding all the minor heroes and creating stories around them. And I feel that's that's a prime target there with that, that story. Yeah, and the movies as well. <laughs> they've been, like, I I know that's not necessarily on topic, but, like, they've clearly gone through the movies a few more times and gone, yeah, we can turn that guy into a hero. It's <laughs> great, isn't it? It's really good for us. Yeah, it's awesome. I love it. Mustering an army. And now we finally get to mustering an army, Matt. This is exciting because we get to make some Easterling lists. We talked about the tactics beforehand, so I'm interested to hear what we've put together. You're starting off with, I believe, a 600-point list. That's right, yeah. And I, look, I, when we were talking about sort of the uh, the Nothine and the sort of way that we think the list should be set up, I had some different ideas about what I liked and what I didn't. And I think you're going to see that I sort of changed my mind a little bit with the list. So uh, let, let's get into it. I'll, I'll get into my 600 points. So I've started with Kamul, Kamul the Eastling with Fell Beast, which is an interesting pick, I think, at 600, because that's a very expensive leader. But I think there's there's not a lot at 600 points that's actually going to be able to deal with him. So I feel like it's a pretty interesting pick for it. Uh, he is leading an Eastling Warrior with Banner, Pike, and Shield, four Eastling Warriors with Shield, four Eastling Warriors with Pike and Shield, four black dragon warriors with pike and shield, and one black dragon cataphract with war drum. So the idea of that war band is full pike block with the banner in there, Kamul doing Kamul things, mm -hmm. and the war drum to get it where it needs to be. Also in the list, I have an Easterling war priest. As we discussed, interesting pick in the list and probably very useful. It's leading three Eastling warriors with shield, five Eastling Warriors with Pike and Shield, and four Black Dragon Warriors with Pike and Shield. And I've also thrown in there one Eastling Dragon Knight with Armoured Horse, just to be a little bit of a uh, damaging influence and a threat that my opponent potentially needs to shut down. Hmm. So the, the idea of this list, and it's got one thing that is something that I don't usually do, and that is it has no bows at all. It's got pretty much defense six across the board, but no bows. So what do you think of that, Jeremy, in terms of like how much I'm going to be able to do? The fact I've got the war drum in there to mitigate bow fire. Um, I haven't gone for the cataphracts in this one, 
but I uh, we'll, get, we'll get to a little bit later about my thoughts on that. But yeah, I, I've really gone for the full spam pikes everywhere, full pike block kind of formation. I don't mind this list at all, Matt, actually. I, um, I was having a think about it. It's lacking in the cavalry, but what you've got is a pretty solid tactic where you're going to go as fast as you can. You're going to engage the enemy with your, your shield wall, pike wall, and basically just grind for as much as you can while you're setting up an assassination team with Kamul and the Dragon Knight, which at this level can pretty well take down most things in the game, most most heroes, most of everything. So I don't mind it at all. Uh, I, I Yeah, I kind of like it. I like that you've put the Black Dragons of the Pikes from a from an effectiveness point of view, from a from a modeling point of view, whatever. It might be something different, but that's uh, pretty solid. And the Dragon Knight, you don't have anything in his warband, but... I guess he is just a, a single drop. And the nice thing about this one is if you're playing the, the drop game, you can put down a single model and people don't know what to do with it because it's so fast. You can actually use it as a bit of a decoy. I assume your pike blocks are all going to end up going together in range of the war drum and then you're going to push it forward. Kamul's going to potentially compel someone into combat to stop the shooting. You're going to get in combat. You're going to start fighting early and away you go. I like it. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I've got the two large war bands and then just the Easterling Dragon Knight drop. Um, obviously on a horse as well, so you can get where he needs to be. So I feel like I've got all the bases covered for whatever scenario I come up in. And yeah, as I said, I feel like Kamul is not going to find much that's going to get in his way at 600 points. I I don't know, like, unless it's a really, really elite list, uh, I don't think he's going to have many problems taking out opposing leaders and opposing heroes. Even if it is a really elite list, because you've got such a solid pike block, you can definitely pin other heroes and then just take them out one at a time. So if you go a bit heavy on things like the Compel, eventually pull a hero out of the lines, the tag team of Kamul and the Dragon Knight will take down pretty much everything while your pike block might win the occasional combat against the other heroes or other big things, but they'll definitely hold it off. They're tough to move, and they're going to take up a fair bit of resources to get rid of. So I don't mind this. It doesn't really have a lot of weaknesses either. So normally in a list, you go pick on the bowman or pick on something weak. You've got a really solid list all around. You've got your banner in there. You've got your so for scenarios if you need it. You've got your war priest making sure courage isn't an issue. I think it's really reliable. I think it's really solid, and I think it's a good way to play the Easterlings. Mm, yeah. Um, 29 models all up, which I think is probably about average at 600, maybe even a little under, but it's interesting. Eastlings are kind of a hard list to write, I noticed, when we were, um, when we were making these lists. Uh, they're quite expensive for the, the basic troops, and especially for the Black Dragon Warriors. At 11 points for Pike Shield Black Dragon Warrior, that's up there with, like, Galadrim Court Guard and, and uh, and like Khazard Guard and that sort of thing. That's a that's a very expensive option. But as you say, the way the formation works, and you know, I, I really changed my list quite a bit based on what you were talking about earlier. The the black dragons just at the back with just a handful of them, that's all you need. That's all you need to get that fight for everywhere. So I really like the the way that that's spread out and the way that that can uh, perform. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I'm glad you took that advice, Matt. I, I, I'm actually mm. looking forward to when you try Eastlings out again. I'd love you to try a list like this because I, I do rate Kamul and I, I, I rate him very highly. He's such a good assassin tool. Uh, you've got the Dragonite, which is probably one of the best models in the whole list. Um, we've talked about the War Priest and, and what we thought about that one. It's a good model to have. Um, in this sort of army, it's perfect because you're doing a grind for the rest of the army. The Most of your warriors are just sitting there until you've taken out all the heroes. The nice thing is you can do lots of strikes with your Dragonite because if you're killing heroes, you can just regenerate your own might and keep calling it, keep calling the strikes of the Dragonite, getting traps, with the, uh, getting knockdowns with the Fell Beast. Uh, lots of fun with this list. 
Yeah, yeah. And uh, depending on the opponent, the Warpriest can actually go one of two ways. They can focus into the Fury if I'm facing something terrifying, or if it looks like um, I'm coming up against something that's likely to break me. Or I can go with the Blade Wrath on the Dragon Knight and really try and, and snipe some stuff. So that's some cool options. What do you think about just having the War Priest on foot? Because I did consider chucking him on a horse. I think it's actually good in this list because you want to bury him in that infantry block. You want to keep a tight formation if you can, because ideally you don't want to engage it a whole lot. So you want to go and engage the enemy really quickly, but hopefully where there's some things blocking you up and uh, getting in the way. So having the War Priest able to get tight into the formation works well. He's not going to be getting out, causing knockdowns and charging with his, with his cavalry. He's not following cataphracts around. The army, the heroes will follow the infantry block. So I don't mind this. It's not an army that wants to spread out. It can. It's got lots of basic uh, troops with, with defense six. So it can spread out if you need to. But ideally, you want to be in as a tightly packed block as possible. And you've got the war drum pushing you forward. You've got the priest fury if you need it. If you come up against the terror-causing army, uh, I don't mind it on foot. One last point. What did you think about a second banner in there, potentially, uh, that would require dropping ooh, two and a bit, yeah, two models and a pike, probably. Yeah. I, a I probably wouldn't. Uh, I think yeah. I, the only exception would be if you, the next banner was mounted, because then you could do a little tag team where you've got Kamul the Dragonite, and a Banner Cavalry model. And those things, the three of them together, could do some really damage taking things out. And that, in that case, sometimes you use the Banner as an as a, um, attacking model, potentially. But I probably wouldn't think so. I think you've probably got just enough infantry to do what you want to do. I don't really want to cut it down too much. Uh, the heroes are very expensive, which is the Easterling list. I... I I don't know. I'm happy to fight one front. I usually say one banner per front you're fighting on. This army looks to me like it's designed to fight in one spot. Yeah, definitely. It could, because it's such a tight formation with the pikes. Yeah, I think you're right on that one. Cool, cool. All right, what have you got for us, Jeremy? What's okay, your Okay, I've gone for the 750 standardish tournament type list. I've got, uh, my first warband is Amdur, the Lord of Blades with an armored horse. So I've gone for the, the hero that, that I do love this hero, and I liked him beforehand, but he's now he's just so much better in game. I've got three Eastling Warriors of Shield, three with Pike and Shield, uh, two Black Dragons with Pike and Shield, and one Cataphract of War Drum. So it's a much smaller version of your um, your block. It's a little tiny block. So I've got the three in the front, I've got a War Drum pushing me forward, and I've got the five Pikemen, two of them are Black Dragons, just to give me the Fight 4 if I need to, just a little little taste of Fight 4. Uh, in the second Warband, I've got Kamul and Felbeast. And once again, a huge amount of points. And then I've got three Eastling Warriors of Shield, three Eastling Warriors of Pike and Shield, and two Black Dragons of Pike Shield. So another little mini Pike block. And the idea is that these two basically will go together to form a much decent, much bigger Pike block. Um, notice how I've got no banner in that lot there. That's that's something that I've thought about for a little while. And yeah, I'll talk about that in a moment. My third warband is a Dragon Knight with Armored Horse. And it's got three Black Dragon Cataphracts. So this is to do that little formation I talked about before where the Black Dragons can go and trap the Dragon Knight so he doesn't get compelled away. And they can either go in the main line and be an assassination force like you did with Kamul, or they can go and be a flank force. It's actually a really powerful flank force. It can take pretty much anything out as well. So I've got options of that little tiny warband. And my fourth warband, I've gone, you've convinced me, I've gone for a war priest on foot. <laughs> yep. Four Eastlings with shield, 
two Eastling Warriors with Pike and Shield, and two Black Dragon Warriors with Pike and Shield. So our lists are actually very similar in the way they're going to fight. I've got three mini Pike blocks. You've got the two big Pike blocks. I've got three hitting heroes. You've got the, the two. So I've got Amdur, Kamul, and the Dragon Knight. And uh, I've got the War Priest as well for a similar idea. I don't have a banner. I really would like a banner. I probably would consider dropping something for a banner. But I've got Amdur's ability that makes all the Easterlings uh, re-roll. So I thought that maybe I can get away for it this time. And this is an, a pure hero assassination list as well. Hero assassination, and then the, the troops can just play tactically. I'm umming and ahhing. I might consider consider getting a banner in there. I don't know. I think I've got to drop some warriors potentially to do that, which is definitely a possibility. And, and in hindsight, maybe I'll consider that. Maybe I'll get a mounted one, a black dragon cataphract with banner for the, for the dragon knight's force, just to make that little warband really good. But I've got a decent amount of models. It looks like I'm running... Uh, 28 warriors plus four heroes so 32 at 750 it's a decent amount but it's a similar ratio to yours as well where it's just under that one model per 20 points yeah true i i think probably when we're talking about 750 of course we are talking competitive tournament lists and given that there are two scenarios with uh require well not requirement but points for having a banner it, it probably is necessary i think at that point um but yeah, like I, I love Amdur. Uh, I, I think his effect within the Eastling list is really, really cool, as we've already discussed. And yeah, it's really just a, a an upgrade on what I've written there at six hundred, isn't it? For that extra one fifty, you've just got basically a bigger Pike block, and uh, and Amdur in there. Yeah, it's almost an identical style of list. Um, I will give, you, I will concede, Matt. If it's if I look at the scenario pack for the tournament and I'm going competitive, and I see that there's the two banner ones in there or even one of the two banner ones, I'll probably put a banner in. If there's not, yeah. um, I'll go without the banner. Because tactically, from a fighting point of view, I think I can survive without the banner. But I would... Yeah, you're right. I need to, that just extra points to bank. Especially with no bows. Again, no bows. That's interesting, isn't it? Because I think, as a group, we always say, you know, at least take a few, right? At least get a few in there to potentially snipe some horses out. But both of us have gone without it. And I think that's largely just the way that the Easterling force is constructed, just the way that you kind of want to maximize that pike block. And the bows just don't really fit well into it, do they? Yeah, I, I feel like it's not a bow-heavy force, as we talked about in Keep It Secret, Keep It Safe. So I think it's it's mm. just a... Like, like this, this design has so much potential to hit even first turn because you've got guaranteed nine inch movement if you want the banner effect not the banner the um the war drum affects kamul so you've got a really fast moving kamul that could compel someone into combat so you could potentially be in combat first turn uh it, it's it's really really solid uh, the ideal is to to not get kamul to march to to get him to move forward to compel someone and then finish off the charge so he gets the charge bonus and then using the drum to just move everyone around him to to provide support and away you go it's it's an army that, that because it's so tightly packed, you can easily fit everything in the war drum range and you just make a block at the center line and just run forward. Yeah, and and even uh, if you aren't able to get that charge, I believe you can still compel into combat, yes? Yes, yes, but you just won't get the charge bonuses. Yeah, so if you absolutely have to, you've potentially got a, uh, what is it, 17-inch Kamul plus a 3-inch Compel. You won't get the charge bonuses, but if you can uh, get Amdur near him, uh, you could, you know, still have those three attacks and potentially combat away and, and do some real damage. So 
there's some really tricky things within the Easterling list, and that's one of them. Yeah, if you're going to do it that way, I would highly recommend having like the Dragonite or Amdua immediately next to Kamul and move it so that the model you can power can charge both of them together. Both, yeah, I, I th- yeah, great I point. I think great point. that's a big risk to push both of them forward that much. And yeah. I feel that that's a good way of doing having it. Having said that, having said that, I think the best way of doing it is still having, um, that, like, I'd only really bring that up if they are 20 inches away, yeah. you know? So n- may not necessarily be able to to pull that situation off. But, like, that's another option. I, I think, though, if you are within that 15-inch uh, range, you can you can just compel them in and, can, and charge in, yeah. regardless of whether um, Kamul and, and the Dragon Knight can get in. But yeah, no, look, solid list. Again, uh, very similar to what I've already constructed there. Um, mm-hmm. I do like that Eastling Dragon Knight. I keep saying Eastling Dragon Knight. I, can, I think I can just say Dragon Knight. I think we know what that means, sure. don't we? Um, <laughs> I, I do like that uh, with the three cataphracts. I've kind of changed my mind on that point, so... Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, it's, yeah. It's such a good as we'll band. as we'll see in a moment. <laughs> yeah, as we'll see in a moment. <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah, I I really feel like that could be competitive at seven fifty. I know we come up against some very very strong lists, but I, I think that could hold its own. How, how many models did you say again? Thirty two. Yeah, it was, was thirty two. So I feel like 32. it's enough because everything's going to be in combat. It's the old death ball army where you run forward in a big block, you try and take people by surprise. But it's got the added bonus that it's it's one of the really effective character assassination armies. And it's so good against an army with lots of medium-level characters. So if you have a few mm, medium-level characters, yeah. you can potentially take them out in two or three turns and then have full might on all your characters. And then they just go to town on the infantry. The, your, your infantry just yeah. breaks even and the heroes just go nuts. They love it. it the, it's yeah. one of the armies that Rohan is really scared of because if you get in their face, you can take out all their mid-level heroes really, really quickly. Yeah, you, you get a charge off against Rohan and you've just got so many more attacks involved rather compared to what they have. Yeah, it, it's just incredibly powerful against an, a cavalry list, um, which is good because that's what Pike should be, really. Yes. Uh, good to see. Yeah. Shall we move along to my 1,000 points? I've gone with 1,000 points of pure Eastlings just to, just to see what that looks like. Uh, we've got Kamul again with a Felby. So all of our pure lists have Kamul with Felbies, which is really interesting. Um, I think it's it's clearly the most powerful thing in the list, and it's something that just adds a dimension to the list that I think you kind of need. So I'm not surprised that both of us went in that direction. Uh, yeah, so... I think that that one is... You, you absolutely used to need him. He was the list. Now I think you can mm-hmm, get away yep. without him. But he does add so much to him. He's gone down a little bit because the magic's not quite as good now. So I do, I do think it is a choice of Amdur's improvement. But uh, as you're going to see, you've got a thousand. So why not take one of the most powerful models in the game? Exactly. And yeah, looking at my 600, I could simply swap uh, Amdur and Kamul. Yes. Uh, sorry, Amdur in for Kamul. Um, but yeah, I feel like Kamul is is it really adds that dimension. Um, and also I couldn't really max out the warbands more. If I threw in Amder instead of Kamul, I would just get a couple of cataphracts as yes. well. So, I mean, yeah, you know, that's an option, but yes, at a thousand, I have gone for Kamul as my leader, uh, one black dragon cataphract with war drum, one black dragon cataphract with banner and three black dragon cataphracts with swapped weapons. Ooh. I've decided uh, and I think this is kind of themey as well, honestly, because I believe they're described as having axes in uh, in the lore. Uh, we might need to get David's confirmation at some point in the future, but 
I do believe Eastlings are described as having axes, and that's what I want on my cataphracts. I think Kylie brought it up earlier. I, I think you need them. I really do, and honestly, I feel like it's probably a good choice to swap weapons on the Black Dragon cataphracts. I would not say that about almost anything else in the game, which I think is really interesting. Mm. But yeah, uh, axes on those boys, or, or uh, picks, or... Yeah, no, I think axes. Axes are cool. Yeah, I like axes. Um, yeah. So, as you've described, I've gone for exactly that kind of warband. I've got five cataphracts with a war drum and a banner in there, um, hanging around with Kamul and just doing cataphract things. So, uh, there you mm. go. So, in my second warband, I've got... Amdur, Lord of Blades with Armoured Horse, as we've discussed, at a thousand points. Why wouldn't you bring him along? We've got three Easterling Warriors with Shield, three Easterling Warriors with Pike and Shield, six Easterling Warriors with Bow. I've brought along a few bows this time, and three Black Dragon Warriors with Pike and Shield. Uh, The reason I've brought along a few bows this time around is I feel like at a thousand points, you're pretty likely to see some heroes that you really want to shoot off their horses that are going to be absolutely devastating if they get into a pike block with their horses intact. And uh, that's that's my reasoning behind that. That's why I've got those bows. So my third warband, uh, that, that is a full warband, by the way. That's the full mm, 15 yeah. in there. Yep. Third warband, Easterling War Priest. Once again, uh, we discussed how good we think that is in this list, and I've been convinced uh, along with you, Jeremy. Two Eastling Warriors with Shield, three Eastling Warriors with Pike and Shield, four more bows, and three Black Dragon Warriors with Pike and Shield. So that brings my bows up to 10, and I feel like that's uh, around the amount that you wanted a 1,000 points to be able to do mm. something. It doesn't have to be a lot, but you definitely want to get some shots off and try and snipe those really, really key targets. Uh, again, just a sort of mini Pike block, very similar to Amdur's uh, Warband there. Warband 4... Uh, I have been completely convinced, and I've got a Dragon Knight with Armoured Horse and two Black Dragon Cataphracts with, again, swapped weapons, axes. And Warband 5, exactly the same. Another Dragon Knight, another two Cataphracts with swapped weapons, Black Dragons. So, Jeremy, what's it like to know that you have completely changed my mind about how I want to run these things? <laughs> I really like it. I- I, 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 yeah, I'm glad I have because I've got really not much criticism of this list. I really do do like this setup. Uh, the only thing I would probably consider doing is I would grab one Black Dragon Cataphract from Warband 1, so with Kamul, and add, give one to each of Warband 4 and 5. I like having a Dragonite with three Cataphracts, and that's so you can trap your own Dragonite if you absolutely have to. So if you're playing one of those bait games against a Compel or a um, you know those Elf Sentinels or anything like that, they can drag things around. The Dragonites are the best targets for them. They love dragging the dragging the Dragonites around. Dragon. Yeah, dragging them <laughs> yeah. around. So I I would definitely have the own ability to trap yourself. I think that's a really good option in this list, and I think it's one that you can do essentially with no extra effort because chances are they're going to go and drop down with Kamul anyway, but mm-hmm. you've got the option to, if one of them wants to operate on their own on a flank, I actually think they are a really nice flank force, especially if you go and see a tiny little warband drop, like someone drops down a, a dam rod and some six ranges or something like that, you're really confident of taking them out with a Dragonite and some 
some cataphracts. So I would consider that. But that's just such a minor tweak that it's probably not worth worrying about. You've got your banner in there, and it's a mounted banner, which I really do like. It gives you heaps of options in this force. You've got Amdur giving a banner effect for a pretty solid pike block, and you've got bows to leave behind and take objectives in the back row or to go shoot out some horses or go do some fun things or even hang around with the war priest at the end game and just, just get some domination. So I, I like this list. Um, it's, it's hard to make a really terrible 1,000-point list because you get so many options, but this one seems to be a really solid pure list. Yeah, on, on your point with just having a cataphract in each of those second and third warbands with Amdur and the Warpriest, I think that's a great point. Um, just looking at warband composition, I'd just probably take a bow out of each and put them in with Kamul or or even with the... the um, I know you couldn't put them with the Dragonites. They'd need to be Black Dragons. Yeah, just chuck a couple of bows in with Kamul as well. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, just put yeah, the bows up. Yeah, cool, cool. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, always like doing that. Yeah, having a few bows in different warbands. So that's... Yeah, I honestly... Uh, it's 45 models, I believe. Yep. Good, good number. Um, which is, yeah, it's it's good. It's not outstanding, I would say. I think it's right for an Eastling um, army, though. I think that's it. I think you're okay. playing as an elite army with really powerful heroes. Yeah, definitely. Um, you've really got to maximize those numbers um, in combat, though, because 45 is not huge. But you can do that. You've got the pikes. That's the whole point of the pikes. So... Yep, I, I feel like this could work, for sure. Mm, cool. Okay, can I have a turn, Matt? Go for it, Jeremy. What have you got for us? Okay, I'm going to move on to... I've got another 750 competitive list, but this one's a, got a more of an interesting theme. So I think it's a slightly more, bit more hit and miss, but I've gone for an allied force. So I've got Eastlings, and I'll talk about their ally in a moment. So I've gone for, for my first warband, Amdur on Armoured Horse, leading six Eastling Cataphracts, and one Eastling Cataphract with War Drum. So these are not Black Dragons, these are just Eastling Cataphracts. So seven models in Amdur's Warband. Warband 2 is a Black Dragon Knight. So Eastling Black Dragon Knight, but I don't have to say Eastling, you've told me. With Armoured Horse, <laughs> leading four Cataphracts, mounted Black Dragon Cataphracts. So a, a decent-sized Cavalry Warband again. Then I've got a mirror, not a mirror, I've got the same one of that. I haven't done the swap weapon. It's something you, I might consider. It'd be very easy to do, and I'm interested to hear how it works when you finally try it out, because I think that's going to be a really cool conversion as well to give you a black dragon axes. But I've got uh, the same thing. So a dragon knight on a horse, four black dragon cataphracts, and so it's all Easterling cavalry and not a huge amount. So three heroes and then 15 troops. So I've got uh, just the 18 Eastlings. Now I've allied in... Khand. So I've got a Khandish King on Chariot and six Khandish Horsemen. And because they're green allies, I can not count the bows for the Horsemen. So I get this is an all-shooting little um, contingent. I'm not so fussy that I don't have to shoot, but it gives me extra extra horses, extra chariot hits. So I've got the impact hits of the chariot, so I can set up my army around getting that and, and knock out infantry that way. And I've got some really powerful heroes. The the Carnage King is no slouch. Amdur is a fantastic hero. And the Dragonites are really dangerous heroes. So I've gone for the all-cavalry 750-point list. It's got the weaknesses that cavalry do. So that it doesn't like fighting knockdown magic. It doesn't like fighting infantry that's dug in. But it, it's got the Carnage Chariot, which gives it a little bit of, of a bump over a lot of the cavalry list. Very nice. Yeah, I... I'd ordinarily be skeptical about um, cavalry lists that have not maximum bows. Um, although you, you do have maximum bows for what you're actually able to do. 
but uh, only six shots at 750 is, you know, on the low side, and especially in a cavalry army, that makes it a little bit tough to force your opponent to go where you want them to. Uh, what? But He's got one as well. Having said that... Oh, okay, he does have one. Okay, cool. Um, ha- is that automatic? Is that one he just comes with the bow? I'll quickly he... look it up. I believe it is. I think you get a choice of the, the oh, two-handed okay. weapon or the bow, and I believe I would always go for the... You'd take the bow. Yeah, 100%. percent you But I'll just, I'll just yeah. quickly double-check that while you're giving your point. Yep, no point. No, no point. <laughs> no worries. So, having said that, uh, as you mentioned earlier, the black dra- uh, the, the cataphracts don't worry too much about enemy bow fire. So I think they can still threaten without worrying about being really just taken off the board. Uh, which is really the main purpose of having those bows. It's fighting where you want to fight. And if you're not worried about enemy bow fire, you can still potentially do that. Um, you can't really force your opponent to go where you want them to go, but you're not too worried about taking your time to get those charges where you really want them, which is the main thing about cavalry armies in general. So, look, I, I like it a lot. I, I think the numbers are surprisingly good at 750. I think, what have you got there? 6, 10, 14... 21 plus 4, 25 for 750 mm-hmm. with all cav. Yep. Yeah, not bad. Not bad. Seven um, bows. The Carnage King comes with both the bow and the hand and a half axe. There you go. So, so he's Excellent. got the bow as well. Excellent. And he's got the bow and the chariot, so I can move full speed and keep shooting, so he doesn't worry too much mm. about it. Is is his axe still elven made? I don't believe it is anymore. Ah, no. That's a shame. Yeah. Is is Amdur's, Amdur's blade is elven made, though, yes. isn't it? Yes. Am, Amdur has it. Yes. Yeah. Yep, that's right. So, yeah, I mean, we've already mentioned that. You all know what's going on. I just need to reconfirm my <laughs> Just rules. remember back to the last uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Um, actually, one thing I do want to ask is, does the Candish King count as a banner, or is he a banner? He, okay, he is not a banner. I saw you're right. I don't have a banner okay. in here, and, and that's something I could consider. Uh, he, friendly Candish models within six inches of him, so including himself, count as being in range of a banner. So it only works for the Khan, okay. but he's got some really nice heroic actions. So if you don't know, he's got Resolve, which is really nice for, for this sort of army, although you're probably not going to stay still. You've got March, which is really good. So a March on a, on a Chariot can be a really nasty combo. And he's also got Strike as well, so he gives me another Strike. So I've got four Striking Heroes. Yeah, I think, it, look, if your opponent called a channel and they had, say... Uh... <laughs> Uh, I don't know, an Arwen or something, yeah. you uh, you may seriously consider that resolve for sure. Um, oh, look, you might call it anyway, especially if there's like an enemy Thranduil on the board or, or something along those lines. Uh, I feel like it, you can pull it off, but this is a very difficult army to yes. use. Yes, agreed. Um, the Dragon Knights can, and Amdur and the King are all very heavy hitters, and they're all capable of like going into a line... Um, even combating through enemy heroes. Uh, does the king have strike? Yes, yes, he does. He he does have strike. Wow, that's great. And and is he still fight six as well? I I don't know my Kandish rules, unfortunately. <laughs> You've thrown this one at me. I, I don't I don't know. Yeah, what he's we got, could, but, we um, have to get to the Khan episode very soon. So just just for those who will. don't know, the the Kandish king has changed a little bit from last time. He's only got the fight five at the moment, which is good, but it's not fight six. I don't think he was fight six. He might be five before, but anyway. I think he was six before. Yeah, so, yeah. okay. Well, that's that's a cut down potentially. Yeah. He's got strength four. Mm-hmm. He's on a chariot, which is has, has been upgraded so much. So the chariots are able to knock down models and keep going. They only get a couple hits, but 
they can do some damage. They're a bit harder to steer now. They don't they don't have the same freedom, but they're they're good models. Uh, defense six is kind of low, but that's okay in in this army. It's not terrible. And uh, you've got the in the ways for the chariot. He's got three attacks, which is good. He's got two wounds. He's got courage of five, which is good. Uh, only two might, two will, one fate. He's a hero of valor. Uh, he's got the hand of half axe and the bow and the three three actions: the resolve, march, strike, and the commanding presence. So Kandish models, including himself, because he's Kandish, within six inches of him, which is a good range, count as being in range of a banner. Wow, that's some significant buffs. That's some really, really good buffs. Um, I think he has dropped the fight value, but he's retained the strike, so it's not so bad. Uh, and yet, yeah, three attacks base is he? Yes, yes, that's good. Wow, that's that's a that was not the case before. I'm I'm feeling Correct. certain. So yeah, that's an in, that's an incredible model. How many uh, how many points does the Kandish King actually come in at on chariot? So the Kandish King is ninety five base, and then thirty for the chariot. Yep. You could also give him a horse mm-hmm. option, so you can go for 10 for a horse, but I feel like the chariot's such a tasty option that you'd probably consider that. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, for 125 points, I, I'd argue he's better than Amdur uh, in some situations. In some? That's, that's really, really the, cool. The thing yeah. is, Amdur can go wherever he likes, so you've got that, that movement of a horse to be able to jump into wherever you like, whereas the Kandish chariot mm-hmm. is essentially the one you're going to move first, and the whole army's going to follow him around. So he'll, he'll move, he'll get set up, you'll see if he gets bogged down in the infantry. If he gets bogged down, it's, okay, I'll throw everyone in to support him. Or you, if he kills everything around him, you might just set up a defensive wall of cataphracts with their their um, with their with equivalent of the shield wall. I can't remember, glistening horde maybe? I can't remember what it was called. But to, to be... Uh, yeah, gleaming, gleaming horde, yes. Yeah. Just, yep, to, just to protect one. him for a turn, and then you go again. So he's got some options. I think it's a pretty unique list. I think it's going to catch a lot of people out, but I do think it's one that, that will have some matchups where it will struggle compared to our other Easterling lists. Yeah, yeah, really cool. I, again, it's very hero-focused. Uh, I, I love it. I actually... The more I think about this list and, and having heard all those rules for the king, um, the more I um, more I like the idea of it and potentially maybe something I run in the future. So that's really, really cool. I think I have enough cataphracts for it. I would need the Kandish Horseman, though. So, hmm. Very, very interesting 750-point list mm. there. Yeah, no, I, I'm looking forward to putting it together as well. I, I've... Uh, it's been one that I've been eyeing off, and I really do like the Eastlings with the Kandish allies. And I thought, now that you've got the the defense bonus for the the cataphracts and things, maybe try the All Cavalry and see how that goes. And I think I think it could definitely have some fun with it. It definitely moves fast. We've got the the war drum going. Uh, it does the war drum. I don't think will affect the Khan, but that's okay because the Khan could stay back a bit and shoot and be opportunistic and let the Eastlings uh, push the tempo. Yeah, that's it. I call dibs on doing a uh, Easterling Khan allies list when we do Khan, because <laughs> I'm really excited. Okay, about cool. That now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's get on to the next list. Uh, I am gonna go with another thousand point list, uh, and this one is quite simple. Uh, I have Easterlings, and it's pretty much identical to my other thousand point list with one key difference. I've dropped Kamul's Warband. Mm-hmm. So instead, I have Amdur as my leader with three Sling Warriors with Shield, two with Pike and Shield, six Bows, four Black Dragon Warriors with Pike and Shield. I believe that's the same Warband as before. I've got the War Priest, two Shields, two Pike and Shields, four Bows, four Black Dragons with Pike and Shield. Again, I think it's either very similar or identical. Again, Eastling Dragon Knight with Armored Horse, or just a Dragon Knight if you prefer. Three Black Dragon Cataphracts with the swapped weapons. And finally, I have allied in 
from Moria, a dragon with fly and breathe fire to inspire my black dragons. And he's got with him two bat swarms that are tagging along to scavenge the dregs that he leaves behind. Um, Ooh, inter- basically, basically, I just wanted to take a dragon. Yeah. <laughs> there wasn't a whole lot of thought put into this one, I'll be honest with you. But uh, I feel like I'm not seeing dragons around much, and I need to rectify that. Someone needs to be taking our basic dragon, not Big Daddy Smaug, but just the little baby one. He's not that much mm. of a baby either. He's still very, very powerful. I've gone with Breathe Fire purely because I want to breathe some fire. I think in the past we've always said that the worm tongue was a little bit better. Uh, Having said that, magic got a little bit of a nerf in the newest rules. I think a nerf is a bit harsh to say, actually. It's not as good, but it still, you know, basically does the same thing. But the Breathe Fire, I feel like, is just really, really cool and is something that if you come up against a very high defense army that the Eastlings can't necessarily cut through, the Breathe Fire is going to be able to do it for you. Mm, so yeah. that's the idea behind taking that upgrade. Um, and the Bat Swarms are just there because Bat Swarms are, are bloody brilliant. Um, and oh, yeah. they're there for anything really big that I face at a thousand points. And hopefully they're able to assist the Dragon and assist Amdur and assist the Dragon Knight. Yeah, that's a real bonus to have the Dragon be able to lead the Bat Swarms as well. Would you, mm-hmm, would you make yeah. them bat swarms or would you turn them into something else? Um, look, I, I've struggled to think what else you could do. You could do like a little little swarm of baby dra- uh, drakes. Yeah. Well, not drakes. What what would they be? Like like worms, wormlings. Yeah, little. Li- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure, little but I, I thought that would be cool. Yeah, something. little baby dragons. But no, I think the bats works really well as well. I, I like this list. I think it's. Like, if something could take down a dragon, it's probably going to beat this. But the, the bat swarms are really nice and that they can they can really help out, take out anything. It's, once again, all our lists so far, except for my one, have been a, a kill the heroes as soon as possible type lists. Uh, the main thing is, yeah. this one, you've got to dig the heroes out. So the way you're going to be doing that is probably with your breathe fire rather than anything else. Because you're going to have to say, right, I'm going to shoot the heroes to try and try and get them to, to disappear or run to the back or hide. Um, normally, the way you do that with a dragon is to, to do the worm tongue and try and compel them out. But I don't mind the brief fire now. Um, unfortunately, you have to slow slows you down a little bit. But the dragon moves so fast, it's not a problem. You only get it for a couple turns, but that's all you need it for. The biggest disadvantage, I think, of the brief fire is it takes your will, which is you need for the courage test later on. So, so mm, th- that's the yeah. only thing I don't like yeah. about it. But the rest is pretty good. Yeah. The other positive of the brief fire is it can uh, spread your opponent's army out if they're playing it carefully. So... Uh, that can actually allow you to focus your pike block somewhere where they're a little bit more thinned out and also apply your heroes in areas where they're not going to want to clump their heroes together with breathe fire yes, on the table. Yes, true. So uh, it can allow you to sort of um, pick them off one by one. So yeah, a couple of little synergistic things there with the breathe fire and, and the bat swarms. So I, I feel like it'd be an interesting list to take. It's small on the model side. I think it's 30, uh, 35, 36. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like uh, it. Yeah, so it is small on the model side, but, you know, you've got a dragon, you've got Amdua, you've got a dragon knight, you've got enough power and and capability to take out much larger lists with those models and, and just grind down with your with your pike block. So, yeah, um, that's my 1,000 points there. The I don't believe you get the army bonuses here. I believe they they are yellow con- convenient allies. Yes, Moria and uh, Eastlings would be yellow. Yeah. 
That's right. So you don't get... I, I'm not even sure what Mori's one is. Is it uh, outnumbering, something yeah, like that? Yeah, there's, there's something about getting bonuses for, for tura- yeah, surrounding so, or something. So that probably wouldn't have mattered anyway, no. considering the small uh, model size, model count, and you want to find a pike block. And you don't get the Eastling one, which, again, I don't... I don't think the army bonus for Eastlings is necessary. It's not. It's not huge, so you don't really mind that too much. No, it's a nice and bonus, but you've got a anyway. priest that gets rid of the courage necessity. That's and right. Yeah. The yeah. the end of turn, you've got shields on pretty much every one of your models. You can do the. We, we'll stop them from getting to breakpoint until I've done my thing tactic. So, I feel like you've got some control over that anyway. Yeah. Precisely. All right. Uh, one more. Yeah. List. Yeah. I've got one. So I've gone for right, a thousand again. So, 1,000 points of Easterlings, and I'll talk about the ally in just a moment. Uh, I'm liking the 1,000 points for the Easterlings because it, we've all been going for the same idea. We're showing off really powerful heroes and, and having some, some good infantry to back them up. So, I've gone for my Easterling contingent's actually not particularly huge. I've got an Easterling Dragon Knight with Armored Horse, leading six Black Dragon Cataphracts. So, I've got a nice, solid uh, warband there, lots of, lots of powerful cavalry. Taking the best cavalry out of the list. Warband 2 is just a pike block. So I've got an Eastling Captain with shield. So the first captain that's shown up. I've got an Eastling Warrior with banner pike shield. Seven Eastling Warriors with pike and shield. And four Black Dragons with pike and shield. So notice how everyone in this pike block has a pike. So I've gone for all the pikes. Uh, the idea is that, that the models can all do the backing away. I can use spread my pikes out for the, the contingent that they're going to be supporting. So I can go and basically act as spear or pike support for someone else. Uh, but it's a, it's a very uh, pike-heavy warband. Once again, taking the, the key parts of the Easterling force, the, the part that's kind of good. Then my allied force will have the leader. I've got Shagrat, a captain of Kirith Ungul from the Mordor list, with heavy armor, shield of Kirith Ungul. So this is a very small-based, hard-hitting model. So you'll see a theme very soon. But he's got the knockdown ability with his shield, and he's a pretty hard hitter. He's going to be my army leader. I've gone, he's leading uh, some Urukai, but specifically 12 Black Guard of Baradur. So the best Urukai, the toughest ones, the ones with big shields, like the Easterlings have. The ones with lots of armor, like the Easterlings have. The ones that have Strength 5, totally unlike the Easterlings. But uh, <laughs> uh, they've also got the Fight 4, which is pretty handy as well. So these are, these are tough guys. They're expensive, but they're tough. They're good. I like them. Then Warband 2. I've gone for more elite Mordor. I've got Goroth, the captain of the Moranon. So this is the big uh, Moranon orc captain, the one that, that if he takes his last wound, he can throw an orc in front of him and let them take the wound on a 2+. He's got some hitting power. He's got the burly. He's a hitter. Uh, he's only got the two attacks, I think, but he's got the strike. He's a, he's a good, solid, uh, expensive hitter. He's leading a Moranon orc with banner, spear, shield. So he's a banner from the Mordor part. Four Moranon orcs with shield. And seven Moranon Orcs with Spear and Shield. So once again, an elite block. Not a pure pike block, but a, another hard-hitting block that can stand on its own. So all my blocks can can hold on their own if they have to, if they get split up. But together, they become this super formation. And I've finally gone just a little bit on top. I've gone for Warband number three. It has an Orc Siege veteran. So this is the one that comes with the Mortal War Catapult. Because if you notice in my list, I don't have any firepower. So I thought, I need something to encourage the enemy to come at my incredibly elite, tough infantry. I've gone the toughest infantry from the, both the lists wherever I could. And I think a Catapult is a good way of doing that. Uh, if I wanted to fight combat, I can just get the troll to push it forward and then fight with the troll part of it. Uh, it's a it's a nice addition to this list. And I feel like this is it's a pretty elite list at the moment. I've got 
three blocks of 12 models, so 36 infantry with the hero, so 39. Plus I've got, uh, I think it's a four-model catapult, is it? Or it's a three-model catapult? I'm not sure how many that is, but that brings me up to... Yeah, I think it's yeah, three. It's so about 42. Yeah. And then the cavalry, which is going to dance around on its own, most likely, the Dragonite and the Cataphracts. So 49 models all up, which is a decent amount. It means that I might be able to pull my mortal bonus because that's the outnumbering one. There will be times when I outnumber. So that's just a bonus to wound. That's not huge. Uh, I think it might be a bonus courage as well, which is good. And the Eastling bonus, which is actually pretty good with the the choosing which turn to end in. And because I've got no Shaman, the courage might help as well for break. But it's it's basically a heavy infantry list with with small base hard-hitting leaders in the Mordor and then the one cavalry warband and a, and a catapult, just for fun. I think the catapult is actually ingenious. I think that's a brilliant idea um, just to get some kind of incredible damage from range to force your opponent to do something different, um, which I don't think otherwise Mordor or the Eastlings really have. So I think that's a, a really, really brilliant idea to bring that along. I love the Blackguard with Eastlings because obviously they give you exactly what the Eastlings don't have, which is that damage output, um, and retaining the strengths that the Eastlings do have, which is the defense. Uh, I think the heroes are good options. Uh, Shagrat's the leader, correct? Yes, yes. I think, yeah, yeah. So, look, I, I think Shaggy's brilliant. I think he's really, really powerful. So I don't mind that at all, even though he is a... I think only a hero of fortitude. So when you break, you potentially are running into a little bit of an issue with courage. Yeah, I've only got fortitude um, heroes, so that's that potentially. Yeah. Uh, but I do, yeah, potentially have some courage bonuses. I, I do, yes, yes, you're right. That that's a bit of a weakness. I was thinking about instead of Goroth having a budget wraith, but I really like the idea mm -hmm. of another hitter. So the idea that Goroth and Shagrat sit there and with the the Blackguard and they just they just plow through with as many spear supports, pike supports as they can behind them. Uh, the Moranans can spear support with strength four, which is really powerful. The the Eastlings can give me two attacks behind, which is really powerful. And those that's a block that if they're facing you straight forward, you really don't want to take on. This is this is a potentially really tough uh, force in in the the infantry. Absolutely. I, and I think the line, the way that you've written the list is really malleable as well. Like you can run it in a lot of different ways. Um, you can just have, you know, Eastling Pike Block and then uh, Uryx with Moran and Spear Supports. So you've got like one that's more attacks, one that's more strength and sort of go with an Anvil Hammer kind of situation. Or you can mix it up a bit and you can throw those extra attacks behind the Black Guard and sort of really go for one power hit hitting block and then the Moranans can do something else, you know. So I, I do love the way that you've got a lot of di different options of how to approach a battle with this army. Like, it, that's pretty cool. Um, I rate Goroth very highly. I think he's really yeah, cool. Yeah, he's good. Um, yeah, yeah, so that's a good addition. Uh, you've got that Dragon Knight with the ca the cavalry there, so that's awesome. Yeah, look, uh, there's not many complaints I'd have with this list. Um, I definitely agree with the Captain over the uh, War Priest in this situation, because obviously it would only be affecting half your list, and it's the half of the list that gets the Courage bonus when you break anyway, so like it, it, just, it seems like it would be overkill at that point. Um, yeah, I agree. And it also, yeah, sorry. But yeah. also, you're going to say this in a moment, I'm sure, the march, the march, the march, and heavy infantry block right. wants yeah. march. I don't mind if that Eastern Captain just marches twice. That's fine with me. I'm more than yeah, happy for absolutely. that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
That was, yes, literally my next sentence. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, you've got that in there as well. And I don't, uh, I don't know if Shagrat has March, but I'm pretty sure Goroth does not. So he'd be the only March in there, would he? Yeah, I, I believe so. I'll just quickly go through Shagrat's profile because we haven't covered him yet. We will be soon. So sure, Shagrat yeah. is a 100-point captain with an extra option. So I've given the shield, which is 10, and the heavy arm, which is 5. So I've really beefed him up. He's only got one profile now. He's a 3-3-3 might will fate hero with three attacks and three wounds. So he's a pretty heavy infantry model. He's only fight 5, which is okay for an orc. Strength 5, defense 5, but I've got the, the heavy armor and the shield. So we'll go up to defense 7. Uh, a Courage 4 is a weakness, you're right. Uh, but the F rest of the profile is pretty good. Heroic actions are very handy. I've got Strike. I've got Strength, which adds something different to the list. I probably won't use it. I've got Challenge, which adds something different. I probably won't use it. I've got the, the Shield of Kirith Ungul, which is a really nice one. It's a shield, so it gets all the bonuses of a shield. But in a turn when he charges, he gains a knock to the ground char uh, bonus as if he were a cavalry model. So he doesn't get the extra attack. But he can knock people down, which is so good in a very tight formation. He can just walk up and knock someone down and get the extra attacks on him. And his special rule, Blood and Glory. So just like the, the Dragon Knights, he can be grabbing his might back, which is very, very useful. So, yeah, once again, we come back to the, you want to be trying to snipe those enemy heroes and then just grind them down. And that seems to be the theme of the Eastlings, doesn't it? Just seems to be the way that they go. I was going to say, I, I do hope that despite the couple of heroic actions that you probably won't use that you definitely do use that shield because that shield is absolutely amazing one of the best pieces of war gear in the oh game. i love the shield it's so good and look mm -hmm. you'd pay it like 10 points for a shield on a on a hero is not a terrible purchase but with that knockdown it is it's so good like like it's yeah to take shagrak yeah. without it unless you're taking a pure theme force i just don't see why you wouldn't it's for 10 points it's such a bargain to be able to get knocked to the ground and, and, and the shielding bonus as well. If you want a shield, you can do a shield. Strike and shield, he can become a really good tank if you want to do that. Of course, you don't. But just, just until you're waiting until a friend comes, and then the blood and glory, to be able to team up with Goroth, or even the Eastling Captain, or the Dragon Knight, and to go hero killing, I'm pretty confident he can do some damage to heroes. Yeah, it's one of those war gear options like the the Crown of Morgul for the Witch King or, or Shadowfax even for Gandalf, where you just wouldn't leave home without it, honestly. It, it just brings so much potential to that model that you, you're going to take it almost every single time. Yeah, it's almost a reason you take that model. Like, if you want him as your leader, yeah, that shield yeah. is part of the reason for it. So so I, I, yeah, I like this sure. list. I feel like it's doing like more Easterling things. It's trying to go for the same tactics as an Easterling, but I think I've really upped the ante in terms of the heavy infantry part of it uh, for the expense of things like the magic with Kamul jumping around or the banner effects of Amdur. But Shagrat's pro possibly equivalent to Amdur, but he doesn't have the, the movement. But the Blackguard, they are, they're, they're a thing to behold. When they get running, there's not a lot of things that can stand up to them. That strength five is just such a nice number because even elite defense nine troops go down to them. Yeah, and I can't recall if you already said, but 50 models. That's outstanding. That's that's a really good number at a thousand. Yeah, yeah no, I, I'm, I'm so pretty happy with the numbers. Despite... Yeah, so despite your potential courage options, you'd be hoping it'd be really hard for your opponent to break you, especially with defense six everywhere as well. That's the whole point. I haven't gone for any weaknesses except for the catapult, but I'm happy they try and run up my catapult because that's going to be good for me. So I, I initially considered orc spearmen, but I decided to go for the Moranans. We've shield on the spearmans, just so spearmen, because I don't want anyone to go at weak defense. I want it to be defense six across the board. Yeah, very, very nice. All right, well, I, I think that's our uh, mustering an army, and 
I think we've reached the end of the episode, Jeremy, and it's been an outstanding one. The Easterlings, I, I'm very keen to run them again. <laughs> it's funny because at the start of the episode, it almost sounded like you were really disappointed in them. And you're, you're an Easterling fan, but I feel like there was a time when you got a little bit down on them. And I want you to try them again because I actually think you're a better player now than last time you played the Easterlings. And they are a really fun list to play and they look so good. They're such a unique look and... And I really love the armor and the way they play. It's it's a really nice challenge. I love that heavy infantry that just runs in the face of people. But this one's got the bonuses of some really nice heroes. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I, I think uh, I, I've learned since I last run Eastlings a little bit better how to use those infantry heavy formations. Uh, so, yeah, I'm really I'm really keen to run it again. And, and the episode has absolutely convinced me. I think you're right. At the start, I was not super keen on them. I, I still loved how they looked and I always will, but uh, now I'm a little bit more excited about uh, what they can actually bring to the table from a competitive standpoint. So that's really cool. Mm, good, good. And, well, I hope still... you, I, and I hope you have two listeners. <laughs> yeah, well, I hope they have two. I hope to see lots of Easterlings. Yeah. Easterlings are one that I feel like they've been underrated for a long time and I've, I've had good good luck with them as I've gone. I've, I've performed well with them, but I feel like they're ones that people tend to overlook because I feel like they try to play them like a Gondor list when they're actually not. They're they're very much a, a heroes do everything list. So please try them out, listener. I, I think they're, they're quite rewarding. Yep, a very unique list and definitely one worth trying. All right, thank you all for listening. And remember, traps win games. Thank you for listening to the Green Dragon Podcast. Please be advised that the Green Dragon Podcast is not suitable for children, the elderly, pregnant women, those with a history of heart conditions, or anyone expecting to receive worthwhile advice. You can contact us on the Green Dragon Podcasts at gmail.com. Yes, it has an S at the end. Or our Facebook page, The Green Dragon Podcast. We do not claim ownership of any works based on J.R.R. Tolkien, New Line Cinema, Warner Brothers, or Games Workshop. This podcast is purely for entertainment. The thoughts, as rare as they are, are solely that of our hosts and guests. Farewell, listener, until we meet again.